gagged at two girls, one cup. You cringed at two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. Now it's time to get uncomfortable with Two Nobodies, One Podcast. This is Here's My Movie. Here's my movie! That was beautiful, Nathan. Thank you. The hand action and everything. It's the things you can't see on podcasts. Oh, dear. So, welcome to episode six of Here's My Movie. I'm Katie. And I'm Nate. And this episode, now we did ask you in episode five to relive the horror of this film with us if you hadn't already seen it. Um, I think we even encouraged you to revisit it perhaps, but we are doing Truth or Dare now. <laughs> That's that, a movie. It is. It's, it's a not f- a game. It's a film that came out in 2017, I think, in other places, but it, it, it came to Australia, I think, in early 2018, but I, I can't be sure on that. I think that's just... We saw it at the movies and I just remember trying to block it out as quickly as possible, so... I don't think the annals of history, which I believe is the correct <laughs> pronunciation, will remember that movie. <laughs> no. Uh, so widely regarded as a a footnote in the a Blumhouse production catalogue, it, uh, it really does pale into insignificance when you put it up against other Blumhouse works like Get Out and Paranormal Activity and... So you're a paranormal activity fan? I like the first one. I haven't seen the others. I've been led to believe they, they get progressively worse, but I think the first one, like, I found it kind of scary. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's like kind of like uh, comedy, right? Like, if yeah. you laugh, it's funny. If you're scared, it's it's horror. Yeah. Whereas I didn't find it scary at all, and I was just, I wanted these idiots to die. <laughs> I'm like, just leave the house. Just fucking leave the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the, I guess that's the, the draw card and the drawback of all horror films is that it they need to t- uh, toe a fine line between uh, fear, gore, horror, and the characters being too stupid to the point where you don't care about them, but not smart enough to escape because <laughs> people have to die. <laughs> but do you think... I think it's more like for me the the horror movies that stick with me are the ones where there is no easy escape like The Ring like uh it follows it's not like you can just like just move out of what like you you're stuck now you're cursed forever or even something like The Thing where you escape and you're in sub-zero temperatures and you die of yeah. exposure but nobody wants you to escape because you might be that thing that they want to kill type thing. So yeah. so if you can set it up in such a way or at worst cover it with a line of dialogue, oh, mm. we can't leave the house because of the blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Like just address it. Yeah. Otherwise for people like me, it becomes a problem of just like you're an idiot and I don't like stupidity driving plots forward. I mean, most of all in sci-fi as we covered in Prometheus, it's supposed to be smarter. But horror, it's okay to have stupid characters, but if stupidity is the only thing that allows the bad things to happen, I think it falls apart for me. So for you and for me as well, I agree with you completely. And I I think what you're getting at there is that it's the strength of the rules that can make or break. The universe. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to be internally consistent, right? 
I think so. I think the rules are very dependent on my enjoyment of the film because as soon as they're established, everybody is looking for them. Like if you're an avid horror fan, uh, it's inexcusable to break the rules that the film has set up. Well, it's for for any movie though, right? Like well, for any-, any movie, yeah. But I mean, for for, for horror, it seems that it it goes it, it's fundamental to a lot of horror films. And if you step into supernatural territory, it's it's kind of like you you're more beholden to creating rules. Whereas something like a slasher, it's less. It doesn't matter. Mm. Like guy has giant knife. Fuck, you know, yeah. not okay. Creepy creature can go through this wall, but it can't go through this floor or something like that. Like if you're going to set up. It's more about like your exceptions and things like that. Yeah. Because the audience will, I think, horror, usually those kinds of horror movies, including Truth or Dare, has an element of a mystery to it. You kind yeah. of figure out what's going to happen next. Uh, the better better horror movies make me go, what would I do in that situation? And then not have an easy answer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it Follows does that really well. I know people don't like it, but I loved it. So. Yeah, I don't get why that one... Because it's tied to sex, and that's very much a teen horror movie trope. Like the first one to have sex dies, you know, and all that. That's a, I think that's established in Scream. Actually, that that trope that they sort of play on when when the characters are watching horror films in that film, taking the piss yeah. out of it. Yeah, but yeah, that was yeah. like the the sixties, seventies, eighties horror movie was yeah. the virgin who didn't drink yeah. or smoke lived. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. Usually a chick, so it was super like it just doesn't age well. <laughs> No, <laughs> yeah, um, and I think a lot of people got fixated on the the premise being that the uh, spoilers, by the way, if you haven't seen it, follows. I don't know. Actually, it's not a spoiler. Whatever, I don't care. Um, it's just spoilers in general. Yeah, I, Katie will probably say something non-spoilerific, and then I'll just interrupt with a massive spoiler. So yeah. if you're dying to watch it, kids, yeah, go watch it pause now. Pause it, watch it, come back. Yeah. Um, so the, the yeah people got fixated on the idea that the the terror of the film was passed on through sexual contact and it was like, oh, it's a film about, like, a malicious STD, you know, and it, I guess you can frame it that way, but it's... Uh, it is. Is that a bad... Or people were saying that's a bad thing? Yeah, like, I'm saying it was dumb, you know. That's... Um, but, like, The Ring is that minus sex. Like, it's, it's yeah. something that is paid forward and you wouldn't want to join a pay-it-forward group to be part of this fucking curse, right? No, no. Like, it's something that... And and a lot of it is like they can't can really control it. Like there's a lack of knowledge. Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, I think that it's fine um, that that is the way they they choose to build the rule. Like the, the fundamental rule is that you you pass it on through sexual contact, so that the 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 it that is doing the following, which could be anything, anyone, a shape shifting, normal looking human that is just walking towards you. So literally any stranger on the street could be it. But invisible it, to everybody else. But invisible to everybody Except else. Except if you're cursed. Except if you're cursed. Even if it's not your turn. Yeah. Which I believe was one of the rules. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you've got... To me, that's horrific and, and very, very scary to think that anything and anyone may or may not be the thing that's trying to kill you. Uh, and it's established very early on that the way in which it will kill you is terribly violent and a horrible way to go. So it's definitely not something that you want in your life. And But the, the moral dilemma is is that to save yourself, you have to put someone else in the firing line. And then that, that moral dilemma becomes 
their moral dilemma. Now, the other rule that's established is that if that person dies, it comes back to you. Yeah. So, so all you're doing is buying yourself time. Yeah. And on a long enough timeline. Yeah. And, you know, you could move to Alaska or something, I guess, and it will have to follow you, and but it can assumedly catch planes and or just walk or whatever, and it may take a while to get to you, but complacency will lead to you um, perishing because it will eventually catch up no matter what. And if you pass this thing on sexually and then do it without informing that person, it probably does you no good anyway because they'll be unawares, something will kill them, and then it just comes back to you anyway. So if they haven't successfully passed it on and then – if they, haven't, if they have passed it on, then it just kills them and kills them and then kills you. So, so yeah, I, I think that that's, that's terrifying and it's a, it's a very good concept. But I, I can understand that people may have found it maybe a little corny, but it worked for me and I was able to move past that. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't really get the corniness. Um, fight me, people. Email us. Hit us up on our Facebook page, whatever. Let us know if yeah. you were one of those people. But, yeah, I don't, I don't really understand why... People can say, oh, the ring was terrifying, but It Follows was not. Like, it's a similar, very similar idea of if you put yourself in their shoes, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's a, yeah. it's a dilemma. Like, And that's the better horror movies present you with those kinds of dilemma where there is no right, easy option. It's not just leave the fucking house, bozo, and burn it to the ground. No. Or, you know, don't read out of the mystical book that you were told by someone in the know to not read out of. Yeah, yeah. And it's – I think that it that establishes the the stakes of the film and they're extremely high and very difficult to escape. There is no – either way, you're in danger and a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Either it, and it doesn't matter. You take one for the team yeah. and uh, – you die or, or you try to live as long as possible, but all you're doing is buying the next person time. And yep. it's it's a fantastically horrific dilemma. Yeah. Where it like if you do it to survive, you're kind of you're an asshole, but you it's understandable yeah. why you do it because like I don't think anyone can really judge you too hard for that if you just want to live a little bit longer or see if you can get some space. Mm. But And yeah, the uh I guess this this conversation is relevant to our interests because we'll we'll be talking about truth or dare and and those those rules and those conventions are uh, broken. Which you know rules are made to be broken. Filmmakers break rules all the time. That's fine. But when it's done in a way that is is conducive of a of a complete lack of finesse. <laughs> in the genre it it becomes a problem so yes put all that in your pocket and you know for when we talk about the uh the feature film truth or dare but we're going to talk about another horror that we witnessed (laughs) recently as last week this week this week this week there you go yeah and what was that horror it was the live action quote-unquote remake of aladdin and with that, I will put in the official spoiler warning. 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 This podcast contains spoilers. Press pause and go watch the film before proceeding, if you care. Okay, so Aladdin. Now, 
I was really pretty excited about seeing this film, but also very apprehensive. Yeah? Yeah. I was mostly just curious to watch a train wreck. Really? So you, you, you went in expecting it to be a train wreck? Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, it was unnecessary from when it was announced. Mm-hmm. Um, after seeing it, it was unnecessary. I don't even think, like, we don't need to talk about spoilers or anything. Like, it's, a, it's pretty much beat for beat the original movie. Yep. Um, but it just does not add anything. I mean, it has a new song or two, but it doesn't actually add anything that makes you go, oh, this is why that had to exist. The songs are completely unmemorable as well. So the they've given Jasmine a couple of solo numbers, which is great. That's fine. She didn't have much of a look in in terms of the... Uh, singing and and musical scores in in the 1992 animated original. She was there to echo in a higher octave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what was being sung by the dude. Her character actually fares the best in the adaptation. Yeah, I think because she's less of that damsel in distress. Yes. a little bit more active, a little bit more involved, which is cool. And she's a pretty great actress. I I forget her name unfortunately, but I think she's been in a few things recently that have sort of got the got the gong so she's she was really good in this actually but yeah i've uh, i've never been so bewildered by a remake because it, it was i've seen the original it was one of my the films i had on vhs as a child so i think i saw it. i've probably seen it literally 40 times the original so i could practically quote it word for word so it was very easy for me to pick up um which scenes were like remakes scene by scene, word for word, and and which was sort of a, a deviation from the original. And we actually came home and watched the original after after seeing the live action. And that's the biggest compliment you can give this movie is that it makes you want to watch the, the original old version. One, yeah. But I don't know that that's much of a compliment for the. And part. and and for me, it's I try and be wary of like nostalgia, which I still classify as a mental illness. Um, but it's um, it's nothing to do with nostalgia. This it's it's just simply a bad take on, on the film, and I don't think like the the way that animated features go these days. You've got adults that are willingly invested in in animation as much as children. Yeah, uh, Disney doesn't just market to kids like they used to. It's you know family films, adults, everybody. I know just as many adults that love Frozen as I do um, children that or they drive their parents crazy singing Let It Go or whatever, but there are so many adults that are into the, to the animations that are put out by Disney, by Pixar, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, like there's, there's a lot of people going here to either relive their childhood to to just see it because, oh, my God, it's the next Disney thing. And Beauty and the Beast cracked a billion dollars or something ridiculous. So, so did Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The first one, the second one bombed hard. Yeah, right. So um, they can work well. I haven't actually seen Beauty and the Beast, but All right. um, apparently it's... I haven't seen the original, so... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, see, I, I got uh, chastised hard because I've never seen The Little Mermaid. I have, but I don't remember much about except under the sea that's about the only thing i remember about it i know that because of 
like just pop culture in general. But yeah. uh, oh, look, I was too busy watching Aladdin 40 times, so like leave me alone. So I've only seen Aladdin, Aladdin like three or four times, including the, the animated one, yep. the, uh, including the time that we watched it after the live-action remake. Mm-hmm. And I've always liked it, but most of those animated movies, I don't think I've really ever watched them more than once. Like the ones that we were kind of allowed to watch and whatnot was just, you'd watch them once, like Lion King even. I've seen it a couple of times and then I had a resurgence in high school because my mates and I were into singing. Yeah, right. So it just was like, we all love the Lion King as kids. And it's like, well, let's watch it again and mm. just learning the songs and like just singing them at each other. <laughs> Sounds really weird, but <laughs> that's what we did. Um, don't judge us. <laughs> but that was the only one that I really kind of got addicted to because I feel like the songs, pretty much all of them were spectacular. Yeah. And you fast forward to these days and I find that even something like Frozen, mm-hmm. I remember one song from that. Yeah. You know, Moana, one song from that. It's not a bad thing, but Lion King, I remember every song off by heart. Like, I am fucking pissed that the live action, live, I mean, okay, sidebar, how do you call the Lion King remake live action when it's going to be all fucking animals? There's no humans. All the animals are going to be CG. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, whatever you call that remake... Uh, they're cutting out Be Prepared, which was Scar, the villain's big song, yeah. in The Lion King, for those unaware. And I feel like that was the best song. Yeah, I yeah. mean, not the most iconic, but for me, it was my personal favorite. It was, it was fucking epic, and it was character building, and it was... And, like, the way that they made it for Jeremy Irons, who I think clearly couldn't fucking sing, but... Yeah, he but made he, it, he talks, sang, sort of... But it works. Yeah. Like, oh, they, yeah. They made it work. And it's such an awesome, awesome scene that I, I'm going to go again watch the Lion. I, I'm actually really excited about the casting yeah. of the Lion King remake, but I'm really feel that I'm going to miss that song. Oh yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's one of the better ones. And you're right; like it's it's characterization it in two minutes that tells you so much, and he becomes a a, a malevolent fearsome character much in the way that Jafar is in the original but now, he's deliciously evil right oh like yeah in the original like he's the he, kind of evil you can get behind you enjoy him even though you want him to lose yeah so the the remake is completely flat all around in my opinion and, and I I talked about uh, adults loving animation and uh, the music in in a lot of the the new musical animations and stuff that are coming out, and like I I still get a little bit t- as annoying as the song was for a moment there when it was just being played and played and played and played. I still get a bit teary if I hear "Let It Go," and it's if, a beautiful song. Yeah, and if you hear um, the Broadway production that's currently, I think it's started or about to start, um, the the the, the the humans doing that just knock it out of the park and it's just this magical awe-inspiring piece of music. Because it's one of those yeah. musical songs of like a, a decade or maybe even a generation. Oh, yeah, like yeah. It's that one that the kids who were, you know, our age when we were watching Aladdin and Lion yeah, King yeah. and stuff are going to watch this and go that's the one that, that sticks with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and I, I think if Aladdin wasn't 
made in 1992 with Robin Williams and and et al. Um, the this I still don't think it would quite get there. Um, I've like the the Prince Ali Ali Ababwa song that is sort of like the centerpiece for that film in terms of like that's their their money shot. There's so much happening in those scenes. There's so much vibrance. Yeah. There's so much colour. And there is in the animation too, but, I mean, that's obviously far easier when someone's, you, you know, you've got talented artists. Do whatever art- you imagine, Yeah, right? <laughs> talented artists can literally draw whatever you like and yeah. it can happen with and it ease. it basically costs the same as yeah. if they did it a different way, if they drew it a different way. Yeah, so you've got, you've got the live-action version of that. I have never seen such a, a flat like emotionless nothing for you know three four minutes there the like will smith's phoning the whole thing in i mean it, for me any like as soon as the genie arrived on the scene it was like it was as welcome as a fart in an elevator like it was <laughs> Wait, is that very welcome that's my take on farts <laughs> in elevators my farts in elevators he he does i guess the best he can cuz if there is Scene by scene differences, they mainly involve Will Smith. He's clearly not trying to emulate Robin Williams. Isn't uh, he, though? This you don't I reckon? Found. I found his performance was stuck between emulation, even if it's simple things like that song you mentioned, you know, where he transforms into that chick and he's like... Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, when they emulated stuff like that, and I was nowhere near as familiar with the source material in terms of beat for beat as you were, and I just remembered that, and, I mean, you probably remember my face. I was just cringing my face off. Yeah. And, and it was just, there was this, there is no energy, and I don't think we will ever, ever have energy again like Robin Williams' energy. No, the no. The guy is, um, what was that Looney Tunes character, the the... Tasmanian devil. Yeah. You know, like spinning. Like, just just get out of his way. Let him do his thing. Yeah. You've heard talks about, you know, people, uh, directors who got to inherit Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man were kind of briefed in advance. Not about, like, him being difficult, but him being, like, he will take a script as advisement and he'll do his own thing. Yep. And, you know, he'll do the script, but then he'll do his own thing and you'll probably end up doing that anyway, so just kind of let him do his thing. Mm -hmm. Robin Williams... Can you imagine being a fly on the wall for for these scenes? Like, I cannot imagine any of that. What like most of what he does outside of lyrics for songs yep. being written in the script. Like when he's doing impersonations of, you know, contemporary characters and stuff, which adds this awesome element for me of making genie super transcendent of yeah. time. Like cuz why would he have to exist in time? He lives in a fucking bottle. Like it doesn't matter. Mm. You know, that energy is impossible to recreate. So much like the guy who plays Jafar in the remake plays him straight, which I don't agree with, by the way. He, he plays him straight and tries to be menacing, and he's really not. He's out of place. It's not that kind of movie. It's not. And he's he's just kind of shitty. Like, he's not particularly evil. He's just there. He's just, you know, former criminal turned advisor to the Sultan who is of the mindset that he'll get everyone before they get him. There is nothing fucking new about that kind of characterization and he plays it as flat as it can be played. And because they've relegated Iago to being a parrot, which Oh, that yeah, and that was 
Like an Dra- actual parrot, not yeah, a like, character. Uh, and I- Iago's lines in the remake are, Rah! Watch out! Rah! Yeah, he, he, like, he's a parrot. Like he, yeah. he repeats shit that he's heard. He doesn't have his own fucking conversations and his own thoughts. My favourite Jafar scenes in Aladdin are him and Iago. Yeah, having arguments and Iago like an having... a married couple, right? Yeah, and Iago has strong opinions and criticism and tells him when he's stuffing up and being an idiot and... And they, he, Jafar calls Iago, you know, stupid or bird brain, blah blah blah, all the time, things like that. Um, and the only way, the only time that Iago acts like a parrot in the original is when he's hiding the fact that he can talk. Yeah, where like he'll he's playing he, dumb. He'll be saying something, and then he'll be like, ah, rah, like you know, to um, to the to, Sultan. Yeah, to to throw off the idea that he's sentient. <laughs> I yeah. get, well, you know, sentient and. Intelligent. Oh, he is. He's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's an actual yeah. character. He's yeah. not a parrot. Yeah. He is a you know like a Disney character, Lion King. He he talks. He's a, he's a human. Uh, yeah. So they 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 completely strip that out. He is literally just a talking parrot in the in the live action. He's also a surveillance drone, which it was just as soon as that dropped for me, it was so hard to get past. Like yeah. the only things he contributes outside of parrot lines, which is just. You could cut the shit out of those and yep. it still would work. Is that he's just spying? Mm-hmm. But what's wrong with that is that if he's not a character who can talk, then what exactly is he reporting back to Jafar? And well, I mean, yeah. This is the like that's that might sound stupid for the point I'm about to make because. Well, no, because he, he he literally the, the what he reports back is like one or two words, and then Jafar just magically knows exactly what's going on, like. He'll be like, ah, oh, the chosen one, ah, oh, diamond in the rough, ah, oh. oh, where is he? And then he looks at like the- some skippy shit. Yeah. What's that, Iago? <laughs> yeah. Aladdin, the, the beggar from the street, has now risen as a prince and he's got a, he's yeah. got a genie with him and we can steal that genie from him? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, yeah. Just, I'm just saying I want a cracker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, and he just like, ah, 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 you know, says all this stuff. And then he looks out the window and he's like, ah, oh, yes. The man who will get me the lamp. Oh, you know, and like, fuck off. But the problem That's that I have, so stupid. right, is yeah. that why ground anything in this fucking story that's yeah. about a magical creature that grants wishes that lives in a bottle? An all powerful being that can do quite literally anything but about two things. Like, and Abu yeah. has been mostly untouched, right? Like, Abu yeah. never spoke. Abu's still this little smart-ass, greedy little yep. like, personality up the wazoo. Yep. But, like, that's because he's faithfully translated. And so when I, you know, when Iago's there and he's waiting for Iago to have these awesome lines and kind of cringing because you can't imagine anyone outside of the original actor. Sorry, I forget your name. He's uh, he's very iconic in his voice and his look. But uh, you can't imagine anyone else. But, like, not... Oh, do you mean Iago? Yeah. That's Gilbert Gottfried. But how good is he? He's amazing. And like that's how he actually speaks. I know. He's not He's not putting on a voice. You that's just want, him. Like, yeah. That's divine casting. Oh, yeah. And he's he's a he's a very experienced comedian yeah. as well. Like he's, he's, he's a, funny in the, in yeah. the animated. Yeah, and his timing's great. And obviously because obviously, he's very experienced and beloved in the comedy world. But like super annoying voice and known for his super annoying voice, yeah. but he totally owns, owns it. it. Yeah, and he's perfect as Iago. Yeah, yeah. Can't and, imagine and, anyone else doing that. Yes, I just can't understand why, like, uh, one of the most vibrant and, uh, I guess, the, one of the one of the, the flavour layers of the cake that is the original Aladdin is Iago, 
and they just thought it was all too fucking hard. Like, they only needed a, a voice actor. I mean, shouldn't that have been, like, couldn't they put Jack Black there or someone, you know what I something, mean? Yeah, like, so, someone who does have that riffing off the cuff kind of ability to, to do that and do a few voices and, 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 you know, be a, a bit of a smart aleck. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, um, it, it didn't seem all that hard to me to replicate that character as, they sh- as he should have been. What it adds is not essential to, you know, defining its existence. Yeah. And this is a problem. And the biggest problem was always going to be Genie. And rewatching the animated version, I I realized that Genie wasn't in it as much as I remembered. I always thought that Genie was there the whole fucking time. And he's kind of like weaves in and out of the story. But his presence, like, I mean, weird comparison, but like Hannibal Lecter, you know, that guy's only in it for um, Anthony Hopkins is only in it for sixteen minutes, I think. Is and I know that tidbit because he won an Oscar, and there was some story about yeah. you know actors who've won Oscars for the least amount of screen time, and he was one of the ones that was up there. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that. Probably that beaten factoid. only by Alec Baldwin for Glenn Gary, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, right. Where he just comes in to have that amazing, admittedly amazing, motivational speech to the sales team. And that's it. That's his only bit. And it's this one scene and it's yep. pretty, it's, you know, it's five minutes. But nails it. It's fucking awesome. Deserved it. But like, yeah, he's like in it for five minutes. And so Genie feels like he's in it a bit more. Will Smith's Genie. And I think Ju- that Will Smith is a very talented actor. I mean, his most... Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. His most recent movies have not been super reflective of that. Yeah. But there are definitely little emotional beats in Aladdin, the remake that he nails. Like, towards the end, when the exact same thing happens at the end with, mm. you know, the uh, Aladdin setting him free, yep. the way that he plays that yeah. was, hot, like, was beautiful. Yeah, like, yeah. I felt that. But totally. that was one of few moments that I actually connected mm-hmm. with the movie as opposed to Aladdin, the, the, the animated version. Like, right from the start, they've got this creepy little... Dude telling you a story, breaking the fourth wall. I mean, it's Robin Williams yeah. in disguise or whatever, but it's amazing. Mm. Like they're just they're just setting you up for the tone, and then this is just like, what are you going to be? You're going to be super dark. You're doing a super dark take on Aladdin. Like yeah, Aladdin yeah. had dark stuff, but it was not a movie that I'd say, oh, it's dark. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 it seems like such a waste that it, that Will Smith wasn't. I guess the highlight of this film, and he's going to be heavily scrutinised because of who was in the role before him. And he's a talented actor in his own right. Yeah. He's a very entertaining person. He's a very cool guy. And and it's a shame because you, I would never want to be in that position. No. Like, like say, well, you've got big shoes to fill, so good luck. Well, I mean, he chose and, to do it, right? So yeah, he yeah, must have yeah. thought that he could, he could bring something that was different. But for me, it, it lacked so – like, it lacked – Energy, yeah. Like there was no energy about any of it. Going through the numbers, everybody was like, "Here's something new." Oh, that's new. I'll pay attention. And then it was like, "Here's all the stuff that we've got to tick," you know, to make it seem super familiar. Yep, yep. It's like they they fortified Jasmine's role. Yeah, she had more of a voice. She had more independence. She had more choices. She had more strength. All of that is to be celebrated. Yeah, uh, but. I still think that she like she doesn't rise above the lackluster 
languid performance of, of everybody else. I don't think – I think it all just is just a, you know, a, a murky slew of people who got together, did kind of okay with what they had and decided that it was all too hard to – try and live up to the original um, and that, you know, oh, well, you know, and then it was sort of like maybe the director has gone, well, you know, the originals are an animation, so we're never going to be able to replicate that. So, you know, and that was Guy Ritchie. I didn't see a, I didn't see a second of what I would normally expect from Guy Ritchie in that film. I was going to make that point. Like I was, yeah. I was most excited about him as director yeah. because he's, you know, you can see him taking the story of Aladdin, this little like street rat and yeah. like that's his wheelhouse dealing with the underbelly like back in the day you know yeah. snatch and lock stock and i'm like oh shit and his unique narrative style you know talking to the camera or or doing vo and and kind of like talking to characters but also talking to the audience i'm like he's gonna get to add some of his signature style and cuts yeah and and, and, and i thought there'd be more of that um i think it would be very easy to overdo it, and people would be like, "This is not a Disney film." Like, but his stamp what wasn't on it anywhere. N- not there anywhere. There was no Guy Ritchie outside of it was said as directed by. And you're like, "All right, I'll believe you. Fair enough." Yeah. Um, so that I, means he was, in my mind, shackled. Then, right? Yeah, and he's I either think, incredibly insecure, or he's been told, "This is how you're doing it." Yeah. Which is neither of those options are good. No, they're not good. But you know where where I think it would he would have been really able to to stand out and you think, oh, yeah, there's Guy Ritchie coming through, would have been with Jafar and Iago. (laughs) (laughs) They would have been the characters that really could have embraced, uh, you know, that Guy Ritchie style that we we would be used to from from his back catalogue. It's a great call. For me it was... um it was reimagining the opening, uh, you know, where he's running through the streets, Aladdin, escaping guards and things like that. Reimagining that with that... Uh, Guy Ritchie energy because Guy Ritchie's movies, love them or hate them, have an energy to them. And I'm talking even about that recent clusterfuck. What was it? King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Oh my god! Look, I'm sorry. This is going to probably get people offside because I know there are a lot of, I don't know, drunk mums that love Sons of Anarchy out there or whatever. Um, I actually I loved Sons of Anarchy until the last season, but Charlie Hunnam with the exception of a smattering of episodes of Queer as Folk, which was sort of his breakout role, and Sons of Anarchy, he's a very poor actor. (laughs) Oh, what about Pacific Rim? (laughs) Yeah. Um, He cannot carry a film. He cannot carry a feature film because he barely carries television. He has a great presence as Jax Teller in Sons of Anarchy. He's a very menacing, complicated layered fucking serial killer bikey (laughs) but he uh look there are multiple if you watch it close enough he loses his he's he's an english guy he loses his american accent frequently uh which he did in pacific rim too if you want to listen to that uh he's uh like any scenes that he's forced to carry um that it doesn't tend to happen that often in Sons of Anarchy. He always has someone to play off. Uh, in the in this in the in the instance of Pacific Rim, he was playing off an actress that was also quite poor. Uh, so, oh, the zero chemistry. Yeah, zero like, chemistry like at all. Not even doesn't have to be romantic chemistry. Yeah. Just like why are you in the same scene together? You 
you don't like but not even like that kind of buddy cop strained mm. relation it was just two people reading their lines now my yeah. first touch phrasing of Hunnam was Pacific Rim and I hadn't seen uh, Sons of Anarchy, but everyone would be like, oh my God, another one of those. Have you not seen it? You'd love it. I'm like, okay, so I'm expecting big things from this actor who Mm. clearly must be a part of what people enjoy if he's the lead, right? Look, it's probably, it's very mean for me to say that he's terrible. He's not terrible. As Jax Teller, he has some great moments, but he is supported by a a wonderful cast. Yeah. Like... uh, yeah, he's he's acting alongside the likes of Katie Segal, who you might remember from Futurama. As Futurama, as she's Leela in pa- Futurama. Married with Children. Married with Children. She's a fantastic actor. Yeah, she's also married to the creator of Sons of Anarchy. With Children? With Children, Love I think. Oh, maybe. Uh, yeah, I actually think so. I think they've got kids. Yes, um, the joke works. But she... Um, she is like, and she, you you really hate that character in Sons of Anarchy because she's she's pure evil, like Joffrey. Yes, right. Um, would and shake that guy's hand and say you're an amazing actor, then I'd punch him in the face. I yeah. mean, not really, but you know that would be the urge. I'd be like, I hate your fucking face, yeah. because you're so talented. Yeah, but she carries a lot of scenes that he's in, in his moments where he has to be angry, he has to be emotional. So he, he feeds. He, on, uh, he feeds yeah. on on the experience of others and does that very very well. He's a, I think he's a great TV actor, um, and especially when you've got a tight knit cast that is that works so well together. Because the, the the Sons of Anarchy crew have an amazing chemistry, and there's no denying that. Um, you've got the guy that looks like a Maine Coon. What's his name? Uh, Hellboy. Oh, <laughs> that's really harsh towards Maine Coons. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? He looks like um, a, like a bad taxidermy clay sculpture. <laughs> uh, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman, and he's fantastic. I was going to say David Harbour, but that's too edgy. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so like Ron Perlman's his stepdad. Katie Segal is his mum. Yeah, you know he's got some. You know, Mark Boone Jr. is is one of the crew. Like he's got these incredible people around him that are doing, you know. Uh, incre- like amazing work that works so well as a as a group, but he's now had sort of two stabs at uh, headlining a feature that he's sort of carrying on his shoulders, yes. and they've both been dreadful. He's going to get Taylor Kitched, and I I quite <laughs> like Taylor Kitch, but I mean John John Carter. No, is that it? John Carter wasn't it? Yeah. Of Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, why you didn't call it John Carter of Mars for the movie is beyond me. Or anything of Mars or anything that made it not sound like a fucking period movie. Mm-hmm. Um, bizarre. It's like like even Pacific Rim. The My biggest criticism of that movie, and I'm sure there are many criticisms, uh, is the fucking title. It doesn't mean anything. Nothing about the, the two words Pacific Rim screams... Monsters fighting fucking robots. Yeah. Like, call it monsters fighting fucking robots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something that gives you that sense of scale because you're not going to watch it for the performances. It's like Mm -hmm. a Transformers movie. You're going to see it for the big CG fights. And they they delivered. Yeah. And, like, I'm all about monsters and robots. Like, I'm not above watching a mindless action film with big lizards and metal things fighting it out like awesome 
Well, I think that's amazing. But if you look at uh, Pacific Rim, there's a there's an act two that just sloshes around doing fuck all, and it's that that's a, that represents like almost an hour of the film if you if you break it down, and it's really hard to to bring an audience back from that. And I just think it is so unmemorable. Yeah, in so uh, many for ways, the fight scenes. except for the fight scenes, but they're not up to. To Charlie Hunnam and Co. Like for me, in in a feature film, he is the equivalent of granola. It's is, like is you. That a good thing. Uh, for, that that is what I would choose if I had literally nothing else, and that includes like waiting for a dog to fart. Oh, like, in an elevator. In an elevator. Call back. Call. Yeah, that's really. Yeah, that's not even funny. But anyway, for on my part, you're funny. You're great. <laughs> Whatever. She would have uh, laughed if it was funny. Oh. <laughs> No, but it's it's yeah. I just don't. I don't think he can he can carry the films that he's in at that level. And Guy Ritchie didn't get the best out of him. I think if anybody could, he probably could have uh, for a film that you know. I and mean, King Arthur's a pretty well known story. Like and and to Guy Ritchie it up would have been an interesting take. But I didn't really see much of him in but that those either. Those Guy Ritchie bits are the best. They are yeah. When it's energized when it's being that kind of like his signature style of cutting things together when the soundtrack which is fucking amazing yeah is on point and it basically is just dudes going ah, 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 and punches and fists yeah. and stuff like it's super like primal mm-hmm. i guess you'd say uh yeah you're like yeah this is great this is great this is great and then there's just this whole other like don't forget to be Lord of the Rings guy that you can mm. just see in every scene that has no bit of Guy Ritchie's. No, and it's really cheap-looking CG in a, yeah. lot, in, in a lot of ways as well. Like, like If you can't go full yeah. CG for yeah. a fantasy movie, you've really got to rely on your, your story and your, your characters. But it's interesting that you mentioned that whole Sons of Anarchy thing in that he is able to lift with an ensemble around him. He is definitely like there's a, he wouldn't, I, I do trust the, uh, a lot of the decisions made by the experts in the industry, you know, like I can't replace them obviously. So he, he gets as far as he does for a reason. And that is that he, he does lift when there are experienced, talented people. I've seen him without a shirt. He definitely lifts. Yeah. <laughs> Bruh. What I was going to say, though, is that that doesn't always work. Uh, the go- My go-to example forever is Orlando Bloom. I quite like Orlando Bloom as an actor. I think he's a fantastic supporting actor. Mm-hmm. Go look at Lord of the Rings. Go look at Pirates of the Caribbean. Go look at what I remember of Ned Kelly. Uh, but he is not a lead. No. And when you put him in Kingdom of Heaven, Ridley Scott, as a lead, and I'm just thinking, where's my boy Colin Farrell at this time? Mm, I think that's on our list, isn't it? It is. Kingdom of Heaven, yeah. 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 Um, But it's such, like, you've got, you know, Liam Neeson around him. You've got Michael Sheen, I want to say briefly. You've got this amazingly talented cast of actors flexing you've got fucking edward norton who Mm. these days is notorious for being impossible to work with (laughs) acting behind a mask the entire movie so no ego like he wants to work with ridley scott he wants to do this character and he fucking nails it yeah you've got eva green so you have this everything around him is amazing 
And he, for me, is the only weak link. And he does his best. And that sounds super condescending. I'm so sorry, Orlando. Uh, but I just feel like he he's not at that level where he can carry the movie and the emotional weight of it. Yeah. And when you watch uh, the director's cut, which we will, you'll see that there was a story that wasn't even in the theatrical version. Mm-hmm. And it it has depth and it has nuance. And it's it's not your average sort of let's go make a Crusades movie or, you know, Swords and Sandals sort of thing. It's not even like Gladiator. It's like this deeper, darker yep. level, less crowd-friendly, but, my God, ripe for just tearing open and just appreciating the layers. Yeah. And then you got Orlando. And I just, I just, I've watched it so <laughs> many times trying to get past it, and I'm like, oh, man, there's so much to love about this movie. And then I'm just like, I just, there's times when Orlando's like, He's, oh, you did well. And then there's other times where I'm like, you can't do a speech to save your life, man. Yeah. And you're you're telling me, like, the plot dictates that you have inspired people. I'm not inspired, like... No, no. <laughs> and I'm a sucker for the gladiator speeches, the Braveheart speeches, yeah. for the Lord of the Rings, for a speech that it doesn't even... Like, if you read it on paper, it doesn't even have to look that amazing. It kind of... They all end up being a little bit cliche. Yeah. But the execution makes it. Yeah, totally. So I wonder if then on that logic, if Hunnam had been surrounded by an amazingly talented cast. And like there were, you know, a couple, Pacific Rim, Idris Elba, uh, Charlie Day doing his best to be the the C-3PO comic relief with his (laughs) R2-D2 friend whose name eludes me. Sorry, Mr. Actor, you're one of those that guys for me. Um, But I wonder if that would have made him lift or whether it was just like, like you said, like maybe there are certain actors who are just a better fit for TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it's it's one of those situations where uh, you know, like most things, people have their strengths and I don't think there's that many that really nail both, like that that nail television and nail features. I mean, the one that comes to mind is Tim Curry. He he was often a he was a recurring guest on on shows like Roseanne, and uh, it seems really weird when you because he was like he'd already made his name in films like Rocky the you know Rocky Horror Picture Show and um, and It, yeah, and then was a recurring character on Roseanne and the sequel It Follows, <laughs> and uh, he like you just you just glued to the screen whenever he's he's on there but obviously he's phenomenal so who's ahead of his time though oh yeah when we've now entered the kind of golden age of tv Mm -hmm. you have feature film actors like going hey can i be in the show yeah because i want a season-long arc yeah yeah at the very least or two whatever it is you know or a few episodes even i want three hours to work with instead of you know my half hour cut of a two-hour movie yeah and i think even uh it, like just mentioning Eva Green, I mean, our next episode will will be talking about Eva Green because it's a James Bond episode for episode 007. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so she like she was in Penny Dreadful. I think she's the best thing about Penny Dreadful. Yes, uh, she's clearly in demand, and I I personally I go see things just because she's in them. Like I don't particularly mind what it's about. Like if I see Eva Green is, is a credit, then I go. She's like a better Johnny Depp. Yeah. You know that idea of like she kind of picks and chooses her roles and sometimes you're like, that's, that's a bit weird, but it's like, all right, I trust you. Yeah. Like even that Sin City sequel, which is mostly forgettable, mm-hmm. the bits that aren't forgettable are her. And yes, it's partially because it's like 
just a fucking giant wet dream sequence. But it's not just the amount of nudity. It's also that she has that presence. Mm. And, you know, as we'll talk more about next week, even in, you know, Casino Royale, mm. the interplay and, and just the immediately the screen presence that she has coming into a movie like an hour after it started. Yeah. And just like believably putting James Bond, the hero, in his place. Fantastic. Absolutely. And <laughs> to to quote an episode of Seinfeld, uh, that that level of chemistry and, and, and commandeering of a scene, regardless of the size of the screen that you're on, whether that's small or large, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a character that Elaine is talking to in Seinfeld and she says... Um, she's talking about grace and, and Elaine says, well, I like to think I have a little grace. She says, you either have grace or you do not. <laughs> and Elaine's response to that is of course, well, I have no grace, but <laughs> which, which is, which is, you know, excellent uh, self-awareness for Elaine's character, but, and very funny, but it's the same with, with that, that pull and that chemistry. I don't believe it can be taught. I think that is just something that some actors embody that others don't. And usually the ones that don't uh, have a pathway in in certain things and, and usually stick to it and are very successful, um, the ones that attempt crossover either sort of get there and they don't or, the, or they don't. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen with, with Charlie Hunnam. I would say that I'm, I don't believe I'm the only one that – is underwhelmed by his his big screen performances, so um, I, I don't I don't think he. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I can't imagine that he's going to be a leading man for the next thirty years, like a Harrison Ford or, a, you know, those kinds of people. I would Morgan say Freeman. He know. can you know wait for um, Quentin Tarantino to to notice him and give his career a kick in the ass, like, you know, a la John Travolta. John Travolta, um, yeah. But the, the catch with that is that Quentin's ninth movie is coming out soon and he keeps saying he's only making ten, so... what? Oh. And what, for his whole career? Yeah, and then he's done. Whether that's writing, directing, or just, like, well, I'm pretty sure he's stopping at ten. Which is I, cool. I respect that. He got into trouble recently. Did he? Yeah. What did he do? Um, so Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is coming out soon. I'm really excited about that, by the way. Um, and he was on a panel with Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie, who yep. plays Sharon Tate. Yes. Um, now, Sharon Tate didn't have long with us in the world before she had one of the most horrific deaths that I can think of at the hands of Charlie Manson's followers. Right. So... Um, she, she, but she had a, a screen presence that she would have been, uh, you know, your uh, like a sort of an Anna Kendrick kind of type. Like she was an up and coming, she it, was it an girl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and she didn't, she didn't have that much. She was a, she was engaged, I think, to um, Roman Polanski. Oh fuck! Who that. was actually away from the house that night? And there's a horror story in and of itself. Yeah, he he was actually somewhere else that night and came home to his wife murdered and her their child cut out of her stomach and murdered. So, um, spoilers for the movie, I guess. Well, you know, Tarantino just, does love his violence. Yeah. So, but the anyway the 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 panel had a they were facing a bunch of journalists and a, and a journalist made a point which. 
you know, it'd be interesting to hear a an answer from him on this, I guess. But she just sort of said, uh, "How do you like? What? Why? What was your cho- uh, reasoning behind?" the Sharon Tate character barely saying a word like she 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 acts in scenes without saying much at all um is that a you know a was that a conscious choice was it you know and I think she was sort of hinting at maybe a I guess a feminist angle you could call it uh and he just he 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 scowled immediately and said I reject your hypothesis oh and that was all he had to say about it. And then Margot Robbie kind of, the air was dead and silent for about four seconds before Margot Robbie broke the tension and sort of jumped in and said, well, that was a conscious choice. And, you know, I really enjoyed working with that because, uh, you know, it, it became a responsibility for me to act without words. And that's a, that's a challenge for an actor. And I really, I embraced it. And, you know, clearly she sort of was saving the day on that. Um, and, you know, it, it is probably a, a, a question that's that's a little unfair, I, I guess. Um, well, but but it would have been interesting to hear what he said. He's um, tried to read between the lines, though. Yeah. I mean, he could have very simply said, what do you mean, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Where are you coming from? Please clarify the angle. No, he, he's, as, he's assumed where she's coming from and shut it which, down. Which may have been correct. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, it's not a it's not a good look. But not that he cares about good looks, does he? I mean, he's no. the guy who was strangling um, Uma Thurman, uh, and and like the story kind of makes sense uh, if you've read it about like for Kill Bill and mm-hmm. wanted to do it in as few takes as possible and wanted to actually strangle her, but didn't want to trust a dummy, someone else to do it incorrectly, so it had to happen over and over again. So. Mm-hmm. Those stories can pretty easily get taken out of context. Well, they can, but... But it also doesn't help. (laughs) No, no, no. It doesn't at all. Um, And I know that he's copped some shit um, over the Me Too movement and stuff like that where he could have stepped in and said things and didn't. Or... Well, he also pushed her to do a a driving stunt that she didn't feel comfortable doing. And she ended up traumatised and and all the rest of it. I don't think he was very open to hearing about that at the time or something like that so yeah yeah and look I'm, I'm i'm led to believe he's a fairly complicated and difficult person but i don't think he's a misogynist or anything like that like i, I think that's a bit of a that's a long bow to draw in my opinion no i mean like i could honestly like he i feel like in the past uh, especially before the me too movement that he was probably getting in trouble more for his adoration or his overuse of the the n-word Adoration was the wrong word, but like he is not at all afraid to use the N word. No, no. Anything, even when he's cameoing and stuff like that. Mm. And like it does add that kind of grounded angle. Yeah, yeah. But like it's one of those things where, like, I mean, it doesn't upset me, it makes the world more believable, but. I'm white, so if someone does get upset by it who's a person of colour, then I'm not going to be like, actually, <laughs> no, don't get offended. And, uh, I mean, I'd have to go back and, and double-check, but I, I would hope that it's used in a way that makes his character revolting. Like, he shouldn't be celebrated for those... Uh, he always for, for that for that dialogue like oh yeah well how brave like he made the decision for a white character to say the n word I mean if they do say things like that because there are terrible people who use that as part of their vernacular to mean 
the racist version of like yeah. you know a white person saying it as opposed to a black person saying it yeah. where they've reclaimed the word um so i would hope that it's used to like signal revulsion for a character's behavior more than it is to say oh look at me i'm edgy i think he just goes more for grounded i mean again i don't know the guy but no. like my take is always like he's trying to make his world believable and yeah. like as much as you know, uh, people, creators tiptoe around it these days and, and deal with it, you know, or think about it at the very least with appropriate sensitivity. There are words that in everyday usage are considered to be repulsive nowadays that people still use very casually. He does create, yeah. generally create three-dimensional characters and mm. he's usually dealing with bad people. Like there aren't really any obvious amazingly benevolent characters in his movies. They're all kind of killers or drug addicts or, you know, ex-assassins or they're married to gangsters. Like, nobody is entering the race, like, purely innocent. Yeah. So he's kind of dealing with that idea of, like, everyone's kind of a shitbag and, and what kind of... How can I make the audience root for these people? Like, yeah. I mean, the best example is... um what Hans Lander, I think his character's name is Christoph Waltz mm -hmm. from Inglorious Bastards. I mean, there's no denying that guy is a fucking piece of shit, but my God, are you not glued to everything he is saying because of the performance, but also because of how it's been written and yeah. humanly directed. That guy is perfect. There was chatter in the lead up to that that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, because Tarantino's wanted to work with him for the longest time and Leo's wanted to work with Tarantino, mm -hmm. was supposed to be in that role. And Leo apparently, I think, off the top of my head, speaks French. Mm -hmm. But he wanted someone who spoke fluent French, uh, Italian and German and English. Okay. So, like, already that's like, you have restricted the acting pool. I mean, you can teach those people, but I think he wanted that kind of organic yeah. stuff and it was really the 11th hour mm. that they found this perfect like you cannot imagine anybody else play. I can't uh, Leo is an immensely talented actor who deserved an Oscar before he eventually got one of those you know you've been at it for long enough kiddo like here's yeah, your you know and, and I think that really like one of the most fantastic films that nobody seems to really talk about anymore is The Aviator and I thought that he really deserved it for that and haven't just, seen it didn't get it. Oh, dude, we've got to what watch that. What about Wolf of Wall yeah. Street? Yeah, that you know? was great too, yeah. He is in a very fortunate position where he's able to pick uh, roles that he is attracted to because yeah. he's bankable, so he's using that status correctly, I would say. And he chooses roles that are very, you know, interesting and, and three-dimensional yeah. and that he can explore. And that goes way back. I mean... Oh, he probably didn't have the choices back in the day with like what's eating Gilbert Grape, but he was fantastic in that. Yeah. But think about like Romeo and Juliet. He was perfect. Yeah. Perfect in that. Totally. And he was what? His teenager, I'm pretty sure, maybe twenty or something like that. Early twenties, if that. I'm not yeah. a big fan of Titanic, but it's like a similar thing. You can see that he's attracted to a certain type of character. And then you go to things like Blood Diamond which I love him in, and then mm. The Departed, which Catch is... Catch Me uh, If You Can. And which I haven't seen as well. Oh, come on. I know, I know. I told you I've got big gaps in my uh, viewing All right. They've got, I've got to add those to the list when we finish. But, like, them. only if we can do... Here's my movie on them. Otherwise, we we'll can just watch see. them. We'll see. I'll flag them as potentials. All right. I'm going to write them down. Catch Me If You Can. What was the other one that I forgot? The Aviator. And The Aviator. That's right. People, you get to listen to me. 
buying time and making notes. <laughs> Get wrecked. Uh, okay, so should we move on to the feature piece? No, let's never talk about it. Let's just, I'm not having fun talking about <laughs> <We're>, anything else. <laughs> apologies, crew. We're uh, an hour into the podcast and we Far haven't, from us. We haven't uh, yet delved into the, the wondrous cave that is truth or dare. Well, that's, let's, uh, this is where I want to start. How many um, screaming, forgettable teenagers out of five do you give? One. Truth or dare? Just one. one. Out of five. You've got to, you can go up no, to five. No, one, it's one. To. One is a stretch, Nathan. One is a stretch. Yes. And I'm going to say, just so we can move on, and I give it a two. But please, continue. Here's my movie would like to tell you all about Listerine's exciting move into the ocular moisture space. Listerine eye drops provide a cool burn that's guaranteed to get you moving through your day. Out of the way, world. I'm blinded by minty fresh success. I can't believe that you gave it two. Really? Yeah. Two. Two. Two whole stars out of five. Fuck. Okay. I... I'm really just so I've now spent sort of three and a half hours on this film because we downloaded the extended version, which I don't know. Did it add? I don't think it added much at all. Maybe I don't ten minutes it. or something. I don't remember anything new, but then again, I don't remember much of the movie, uh, the original movie. I, look, I give it two because I think that the the premise holds a lot of weight for me. Yeah, and there are some interesting setup moments. I really like the ending. Like which feels really, like, absolutely. Like like the idea of the ending, what okay. they're building up to. Because and I appreciated it more the second time. Spoilers, everyone. Blah blah blah. Go yeah, well, we've already done the spoiler warning, so you're you're locked in now. You're locked in now. Audience. You can't pause it. You've got to listen to it forever. Um, but the setup of that main character to go from this altruistic, beyond her years person who literally says, you know, in that hypothetical question of. Would aliens arrive, they want to kill all your friends right here, or they want to wipe out all of Mexico, who do you pick? And she says, sorry, buddies, you're dead. You know, the greater good type mm-hmm. thing. So they really kind of reinforce, again, execution leaves a lot to be desired, mm-hmm. but her arc plotted is quite interesting to me because she goes from that altruistic, I'm volunteering, I can't make it to spring break type thing, yep. to literally like, I am going to unleash this shit on the world. Yeah. Just to buy to save my friend. Yeah. Who they have a rocky relationship with. And this is me your score is more accurate of the movie 100%. But yeah. my score is saying that, like I I touched on it the last episode this was actually the movie Truth or Dare that inspired the idea for this podcast because I thought really yeah I thought the core idea was something that had potential I mean obviously it did because it got made into a movie yep um, and it got made into a movie you know a Blumhouse movie and despite some shaky entries in Blumhouse productions if you go and look at them I'm sure that even Jason Blumhouse if I'm remembering his name correctly Jason Blum Blum He's Blum, he lives in Blumhouse. Uh, yeah, Jason Blum <laughs> would agree. This is welcome to Blumhouse, the house of horrors. Yeah, that's that's actually, thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Jason Blum. 
I think yep. he would agree that there have been some less than stellar entries in his portfolio, but yeah, yeah. they've probably all been, even the dodgier ones have been quite profitable because of the way that he makes movies. So this was, top of my head, $3.5 million budget that made just shy of $100 million. So I think it was $95 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. That is very worth making. Yep. Uh, and I think for $95 million worth of people to go see it, mm-hmm. There has to be something about it that resonates. Now, it doesn't have any names, no big names, nobody that I know. The main character uh, is called Lucy... Lawless. Lawless? No. She's not. I wish. Sorry, I wish. Sorry, Lucy Lawless. I don't um, think Lucy Lawless would wish to be in that. She's from New Zealand. She is, bless her heart. Go in, Zid. Go in Zid, yes. Yeah, we love it. No, My- Lucy Lawless is fabulous. It's not Lucy Lawless. It's Lucy from uh, Pretty Little Liars is the thing that she is right. known for. So the draw card actually for this film for a lot of people was the fact that she was in it because of her character in Pretty Little Liars, which I have not watched um, but is a multi-season, uh, I'm led to believe, very popular television series that's uh, based around a mystery and a death um, it seemed a bit kind of like teenagery for me, so I never got into it. But I'm I'm led to believe it's it's got a legion of fans and it's very popular. So yeah, and I think yeah. that's like and she's I- the best actor in it. Let's be honest, the main chick. Uh no, she's okay. Who's I think- the best then? Well, I actually um quite enjoy the douchebag doctor guy. <laughs> He's not. He doesn't carry the film. No, did she carry the. I mean, she's the leading actor, but does she carry the film? I'd say so. Yeah, she's kind of like a bit of a Hunnam. <laughs> a bit of a Hunnam. Yeah, well, I mean, fucking, she's a TV actress, right? <laughs> You're only undermining your own point here. Uh, no, I, like she was fine. Yeah, Everybody yeah. was fine. The dialogue was terrible. Yeah, I haven't seen the script. But if what they, what we were shown was, you know, representative of the mm-hmm. script, they were done a disservice by the script. Yep. There was none of the original thing of, you know, where you set up your characters uh, mm-hmm. to make them likable. So when they start dying, because we actually go to see them die, yep. what you've got to do in those first 20 minutes or whatever is make us like them enough that when they die, we don't like it. Yeah. We're like, oh, we came for the body count, but I feel kind of bad because they were cool. Mm-hmm. So there's just all this expositional shit up front. And I still think that the idea is sound. I mean, like, which we'll get to when uh, we do the Here's My Movie part. But sure. I'm more interested in hearing your review and what you what, what gave it one star for you then? What was the bit that or the bits that you liked? I, I agree with you that the premise is very interesting and it annoys me like it gets on my tits like you wouldn't believe that they took what is a very rich premise and did not push the boundaries at all. Or with, execute it well. It's it's so poorly executed but the stakes are not high enough in this film at any point, at any point in this film people are dying and the stakes are not high enough for me that fundamentally does not make sense in this film it 
descends into this stupid, completely mind-numbing soap opera of storylines yeah. between characters. I don't give a fuck about who's cheating on who in a early, you know, late teen, early 20s relationship. You know what? You're probably not going to marry that person. Just fucking move on with your life. Don't go on holidays to Mexico with them and find somebody else. Problem solved. But it's made out to be this... Like, it's, it's basically if you get, you know, five or six characters out of Neighbours and have them parrot their shitty half-hour soap opera storyline or about the problem that's facing them at the time that needs to be solved, which is usually some sort of benign human issue like my boyfriend is cheating on me, my girlfriend is an asshole, my dad died, which is sad, of course. but And a real issue. And a real issue. All of those things are real issues. Like, I have been sad at breakups in the past. I have empathised with many people who have lost a parent. I have lost people close to me. Like, that, it's not diminishing the fact that that happens in reality and that is very real. But this is, like, we're, we're talking about a horror film. Like, the, and unfortunately, these things are just life and they make up... Yeah. The majority of the film. There's a way to execute it though, right? Yes. Yeah. When you're talking about dumb teenage shit, I think dumb teenage shit becomes dumb teenage shit when it's on the small screen or the big screen when it's not respected by the writers, right? Because I'm thinking yeah. now of 13 Reasons Why. And oh, yeah. Why I thought I wouldn't connect with that was because it would be dumb teenage shit. And mm-hmm. it's ostensibly outside of the core. You know, yeah. Suicide thing. Not really a spoiler. It happens up front, um, which is very important. Yes. What they're dealing with and the reasons why they make teenage decisions is because of dumb teenage shit. Shit that, like, if you're like, oh, honey, in 20 years you won't care about this. No. But, in five you won't but care, it probably. matters then. And and it really took me back to teenage years where I'm like, I'm like, oh, dumb teenage shit. I'm like, fuck, but... I can relate. Like yeah, I know, I knew okay. someone like that, or I cared about that. With these characters, you want them to die because they are two-dimensional, cookie-cutter. Like the movie gives up on trying to make you like them, and but, it but, just makes you want to look forward to how they're going to die. Like it's almost like a Final Destination yeah. idea, where you're like you're looking for the or saw, where you're looking for the next extravagant death, which it doesn't really deliver on yeah they're not really extravagant nor inspired uh and and that's and that's bad because they also do a horror movie that's kind of like a mystery they make a big deal about finding out about the origin of where this curse comes from that becomes a plot point Mm -hmm. in a movie that somehow feels long even though the extended version was only an hour and 40 including fucking credits yeah but they were dumb teenagers Mm -hmm. because they were written to just do dumb shit, say dumb shit, say expositional shit to get the plot forward to when they started dropping off. Yep. Yep. And it was it was all really telegraphed bullshit and every scare is telegraphed about 40 minutes before it happens. Like, it is really poorly <clears throat> executed from, from that perspective. But I, you know, I didn't care about the characters. Everything was just soap opera drama, which... Yeah. Takes up far too much time in this film. We find out at 
sort of, I guess, the the tail end of Act Two, that the okay, so the, the truth or dare thing is is a Mexican curse from sixty years ago, or you know, or an ancient curse that was unleashed on the world sixty years ago because yeah. we there's a, a woman who's had to cut her tongue out in order to reseal the demon. Um, and she can't talk, but she somehow writes perfect English. She's a, a Mexican woman that writes perfect English. And fast. That, that, oh my God. Shorthand, but it's not in shorthand? So no. You can read it? No, full sentences, beautiful. And that's not to say that it's incomprehensible that a elderly Mexican lady can write in English. But all it does is it seems unlikely given her circumstances, and all it does is create more confusion. But it's that, it's that shit of like... You can see the writers sitting down and going, "We need to advance the plot." Yeah, How but can we they do spent that? they oh, spent far, but they spent far too much time up front dealing with all the dumb BS that should be in an episode of like, oh, what's that? There was like lots of crappy teen shows around when I was in high school, like The OC or One yeah. Tree Hill or some shit. Dawson's Creek. Like it, it, it feels like an extended extended episode of. The OC, that happens to have like a Mexican curse element to it, which I will come back. Halloween ba- special. <laughs> which I will come back to because there's a period of time in in horror cinema where the Mexican curse angle is is being used a lot, and right. I'm I'm just so fucking tired of it. But the uh, the the truth or dare version of a, of a of a, benevol- a malevolent Mexican curse is by far the worst execution. Um, but it's, uh, for, for me, uh, the, the far too much time spent on all the, the stupid drama and they set it up like it's this, like everything's reached critical mass and oh my God, what will she do when the, the main character is seeing that stupid demon face, which by the way, would have been a difficult execution, that grinning, sinister face, and it doesn't work it's at like all. It's like CG morphed as well, right? Yeah, it's like a bit... It, yeah. got red eyes, but it's like the, the eyes become bigger and the face goes into like this... A V, like, like a, a smile. A v, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then the voice is demonised. Yeah, yeah. True authority. I can't yeah. even demonise. <laughs> True authority. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, go, yeah, like it's really like... It's, it's, it's what you might expect from... Uh, you know what? What a fourteen-year-old would find scary, I guess. And I, and I know that they've they preserved their teen rating for this film um, by sort of cutting Did out, uh, yeah, cutting out a lot of the gore and things like that. But uh, people still die horribly, of course. But um, uh, yeah. So the the thing that struck me is that okay, so the. the the main character's faced with this decision of, oh, uh, Mickey, Mikey, whatever her name is. I don't is, remember any of their names. Yeah, <laughs> is cheating on her boyfriend, Lucas. Blondie. And it's been established that maybe the main character likes Lucas, even though her best friend, whose dad is dead, you know, doesn't know that. But the chick whose dad is dead is cheating on him anyway multiple times. And, and the main character has kept that a secret. And then the demon... You know, she picks truth, and so the demon makes her say the truth. And if she and the the the, the rules of this one is that you must carry out your um your 
if you pick truth, you must tell the exact truth. If you pick dare, you must complete the dare. If you don't, you die. If you refuse to participate, you die. Later on, we find that if, so, if, if two truths are picked in a row, the third one has to be dare. Which is a good escalation. It is. It, it, it is a good look. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I'm not trying to. You know, no, no. Five stars. Like no, that, no, no, no. That, that, if it, it just stuck to truth or dare, it's like, why doesn't everyone just pick truth? Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah. But so it's built up to be this crucible moment where she's like, oh, my God. You know, and then it's like, truth. You know, truth or dare, truth. You know, tell everyone the truth about Mikey cheating on Lucas or what you know, whatever their names are. And then she's like tortured and grabbing her head, and then she's like, Mikey's been treating, cheating on Lucas all oh, the whole time. You know, and everyone looks at her in the library because, of course, she's the only one that can see the the demon curse talking to her through familiar people, which is what it does. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, but the stakes aren't really high on that one. It's like, okay, you either tell someone that their missus is cheating on them or you die. Okay. Like, well, sign me up to tell the truth. I mean, who gives a shit? Yeah. (laughs) The stakes are not high enough. And that is, interestingly... After this, this all happens after the first person has died, which is the douchebag horn dog character who picks Dare because he doesn't realize this is before any of them know about the curse or know about the rules. And so he's he's basically the sitting duck because he's not aware of anything. He just thinks that the woman suddenly has a creepy face but he wants to have sex with her, so he's going to play along. And he's not afraid because he's super cool. And, you know, she, he has to get naked in the bar. Get his dick out. Get his dick out, yeah, and he doesn't. Because um, so, he gets heckled about his small dick. Yes. Uh, and then the result of that is that he gets the creepy smiley face, which means the demon has possessed him, and then he commits suicide by way of falling off the pool table, smashing his head on the side of another pool table and breaking his neck and dying. Now, that is... I think quite a good turning point in the film, you suddenly realize that, oh, this thing means business. And as, you know, a silly party game must be played or someone dies, like a demon could have a lot of fun with this. Well, it's only important for the characters because as the audience, we already know that we're going to see a horror movie. We know there's going to be a body count. Yeah, yeah, but but it sets the scene for like, okay, this shit's serious. Yeah. Um, like and then respect the yeah, game. and the, yeah, and then the next potential death is the one where she has to reveal that a friend is cheating on another friend, and it's like, well, she kind of like, you know, got an got an easy pass for her turn, uh, and 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 that just took that really just takes the wind out of its sails for me, where most people got a setup that was an easy choice. It could have really pushed the boundaries of getting people to say and do really, really messed up things. Um, and instead, it still towed the line of being centred around lifestyle drama. Sounds like we're getting into your movie. Yeah. So tell us about your movie. Well, here's my movie. is, And it, and it would lose its teen rating, probably. Fuck but- the teen rating. 
This but, is your movie. Yeah, this is my movie. So it's going to be G-rated. I, I, I would probably not have pitched it that way. Um, now, Scream is a teen film where it is very much around who's going to die next. Yeah. Um, I watched it fairly recently, like probably in the last two years or so. And it's still, like, for me, it still holds up as a pretty engaging horror film that is fun to watch with friends. Um, and I was a, I was not a teenager when it came out. I was younger than that. Um, but it revisiting it like that, and I know what you did last summer and stuff like that, like, it was always fun to, you know, make popcorn and sit around and yell at the TV at these kind of films with your mates. And this wasn't that. No, no, I didn't, th- I didn't feel it was. I, th- I thought it was really lacklustre. And it was lacking even the tension that those teen horror films brought. And, I mean, Scream did a really good job of like, oh, my God, you know, someone among them or, you know, there's a someone among them might be the killer. People are they're getting access to all these people and they're dying. They're dying in really like increasingly awful ways. Like one chick gets her head mashed in the garage door and stuff yeah. like that. Like they're, again, something very sinister is at play and the jump scares are fairly effective and they still are really. I mean, you sort of, if you've watched it before, they lose their sheen a bit, but you know, it does make your heart race a little and it, you know, you are looking at who's next and you've got characters watching horror films, making things like, no, don't go outside. Like, Oh, you idiot. Don't open the door. Like, you know, and and you find yourself doing the same thing as like this meta. Yeah meta thing you know because what cabin in the woods did really well yeah 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 embracing that idea of those people behind the screens are us the audience making bets and who's gonna die first yeah cheering and loving it like yeah that was very clever yeah yeah and and um so uh, you know I i found that quite an engaging piece that you know i don't know that it would still hold its teen rating but i don't think it ever really tried um i think it was rated ma here scream yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely at least an MA. It was MA, yeah. It wasn't, it was that, it wasn't There was news stories about uh, underage youths watching it and having mental breakdowns. Oh, yeah. Look, I wouldn't... I'd... Before there were violent video games, there mm. was Scream. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I, I think that that one did it... Uh, you know, it, it towed the line of uh, teen horror actual thrilling horrific moments and um being an enjoyable showpiece to to watch with fourth wall breaking fourth wall breaking entertaining over everything else yeah yeah i think it did it very well um so that's what you would do yeah well no i'm no no i'm I'm, no um i'm I, i i think that's a good example of what they were trying to do but what Truth or Dare was trying to do. Yeah. Like, I thought that they were trying to get everyone involved in that. Who's next? You know, what are they going to do? Oh, oh no. Oh, they're really? Like, she's forced to say that, you know, her friend's dead dad killed himself because he'd made a pass at her and she said that he'd be, that her friend would be better off if he was dead. Like... By the way, that whole there's a there's a there's a storyline that becomes more dramatic, which is that the the girl's de- Mickey's dead dad has committed suicide, and she keeps watching a video with him in it. Um, Put another shrimp on the barbie. Yeah, like barbecuing, and they're talking to each other, and for some and all reason that. she filmed her dad barbecuing. Yeah, a and teenager. like Why? yeah, and anyway, like for whatever reason, it's revealed that 
um, one night when her friend had gone to visit her dad or them and it was only her dad home. They'd ended up drinking together and he'd kissed her and sort of attempted to have sexual relations with her. And she said, oh, you, you know, she'd be better off dead. Oh, she, she'd be better off if you were dead. You know, you're disgusting, blah, blah, blah. And then he ends up killing himself. So she's, you know, sort of vowed bum, to take... Bum, bum. Yeah, she's vowed to take that secret to the grave. Um, Cradle to the grave. Yes. And then the, you know, the demon, truth or dare demon, has made her reveal that to her friend and, you know, but they did not... Which was actually a cool moment because well, she picks dare and it says, I dare you to tell her. Yeah, so, so she's forced really, to tell the truth. She's trying to avoid truth and it's like, all right, so whenever you're trying to avoid dare, you do truth. Like, it, it, that was, a, again, on paper, a cool little escalation. Yeah, you're right. I didn't actually identify that at the time, but you're right. That is that is a cool setup. Um one but, of a f- only a few. Yes, I'm not uh, defending but, this movie. But it did not earn that storyline. Everything else is really sort of just banal drama, and then they hit you with a sexual assault storyline. Like I don't think so. I think I counted five or six writers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for the I, screenplay, which is not usually a good sign. No, and. Um, yeah, so I I didn't care who died. They didn't earn that huge moment, you know, where she's forced to say something that is actually sort of insane and friendship ending and the source of every of this woman's hard time and probably the reason that you know, she has difficulty in relationships and cheats on people and clearly has is not in a good mental state. You know, and it turns out that her friend's right at the centre of why all that happened. That was not built up in an effective way for me. I think that the all of the the time we spent on trivial bullshit could have been used to flag that in subtext, and it wasn't flagged adequately, in my opinion. Um, well, this movie doesn't really have subtext. <laughs> no, and it's all it's very expositional, and that gets really what, fucking irritating. What they say is what they're thinking, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's it does not respect its characters. Yeah, and look, apart from the whole demon face thing being really difficult to pull off in a way that doesn't make you laugh because of how silly it looks. Um, it's not scary. It's not scary, it's, supposed it's just to silly. It's be scary. It's, yeah. The music comes in in such a way that's like, ooh, scary, sinister shit's about to happen. And yeah. you're just like, that is actually farcical. Yeah, and I, who gives a shit? Um, now, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is the incredibly sloppy way that this film attempted to modernize by including references to social media, YouTube influences, the internet in general, Snapchat. They're like, oh, the face turns into a Snapchat filter, you know, and like it, it's, it's almost like someone in charge has sat down and gone, oh, Black Mirror's awesome. Like make it a a horror that's, you know, centred around the idea of evil social media. And it's like it's written by someone who just has no fucking clue how anyone interacts online. I thought... I didn't mind the the Snapchat filter as a point of reference for teenagers. It's like it a, but made it's, sense. Like, but like, sure, it did, but it's... It, it, and it was all leading up to that ending of the social media ending 
Yeah, yeah. Like but instead of the the ring, where I've only seen the American version, apologies, where Naomi Watts, you know, puts her kid's hand on the videotape to make him pay it forward. Yeah. Instead of that, it's like she's like, oh, I'm gonna give it to everyone. Like I'm not gonna give it to one person. I'm no, give no. It to look, everyone. It, it it is kind of a clever twist, but I just think that it, it it's it seems so out of touch. Like clearly. Someone has advised that, oh, dude, that scary face looks like a Snapchat filter. So they've stuck that line in. So it's like Steve Buscemi. Yeah, yeah. 30 Rock. And what's going on, fellow teenagers? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, I, I think that that is evidenced by the fact that there's a when they're all sitting around a computer trying to find out the, the backstory on the curse or, or, or on why this thing is happening and why they're involved in a horrible game where their friends are dying. Um, and that is when one of them just goes, uh, just give it here. And the way that they uncover the whole mystery is by typing in Mexican truth or dare. And then the first hit is the woman who cut her tongue out. <laughs> like This is the laziness of the Yeah, but, but this is this is what I mean. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then this is what I mean though, is like they clearly wanted to make some sort of commentary that Involved horror and social media, and it all falls apart. It does oh, really? not. I think so. I, I think it. It I think doesn't you, execute it well at all. I think you're giving it depth that it didn't have. I think that they were just like, how do we get the plot forward? Make them Google a solution. Like, yeah, yeah. Like let's I, not I have anything intelligent about this. Yeah, like I don't. I don't necessarily think that they're trying to do the Black Mirror social commentary. Like this is the reality that we are already living in some ways, sort of thing. Um, you know, and, and with just a tiny push, we could end up in this dystopia. I don't think that was the end game, but it felt to me like uh, bringing social media into horror successfully. Like I know that the Unfriended series is, is a Blumhouse thing as well, and I haven't seen them, but right. I'm, I'm led to believe that that executes it a little better. Right. Uh, but, yeah, they're, they're, this seemed to be filling a quota of like – being hip with the teens and even as like a non-teenager who uses the internet and exists online and does all the rest of it. get the references? Yeah, yeah. I just, I think it was really poorly handled. Um, For my, you know, here's my movie. I, all of that stuff should be secondary. Like it should just be organically part of the world because it's organically part of Western society at least now. Like, it, well, I don't know why they're making a big deal of, you know, highlighting minutes on end social media and internet searching and YouTube. Like, we all know that shit exists. Like, let's just not make it a whole thing. Um, it should be sort of organically introduced as part of the story rather than highlighted and flagged really obviously. Like, again, telegraphed like most of the horror in it where it just ceases to be scary because it's so obvious what's about to happen next. They don't even really do jump scares. No, not at which all. Which I'm grateful for, by the way. Please don't do fucking jump scares. Mm. But, um, yeah, there was nothing scary about this movie. No. In, in its current form. No, no, it's too stupid to be scary. And it's it's too... like I just felt like I was watching a, a, a soap opera that happened to have some supernatural elements in it that didn't quite work out. Yeah. It was like, it was like an extended episode of charmed except charmed knew what it was and was charming. <laughs> uh, and uh, I would, I would take it to the level of 
uh, truly being menacing and again it would lose its place in the world of teen films but those characters would be doing things that really push the boundaries give them a, an impossible choice you know like we talked about before with with it follows like where no matter what happens you're still a terrible piece of shit and nobody escapes easily don't teenagers go to like isn't this teenage fodder isn't the horror genre like the pulpy yeah horror genre like teenage bait well, i'm not sure about the i think rc17 off the top of my head is they go from like pg13 to restricted to like 17 whereas mm-hmm. over here RMA is 15 and unless you've got particularly fucked up shit which is usually sexual violence mm. you're going to get an MA for your average horror slash yeah, yeah. movie it won't get R um, which means and in our high school system 15, 16, 17, 18 are still in high school in high yeah. school so it's kind of perfect plus MA also flags to adults that it's not a kiddies movie which makes us more likely to want to see it yeah yeah so I'm not again. I'm not sure. I mean, they always think about the United States, which to me is bizarre mm. in this day and age, especially with like. I mean, I know that Hollywood now thinks about China, but if Fast and the Furious, I'm about to say this, has taught us anything, mm. it's that the international market is potentially way more profitable yeah. than Hollywood, and that's true of even the Marvel movies. Like mm-hmm. Avengers has made I think 700, 800 million in the US. My God, is that not to be snuffed at? No. But if you compare it to the almost two billion yeah. it has made in the rest of the world, mm. Hollywood is now a global commodity. Yeah. So you got to take this sort of stuff into account. And like, I didn't even realize that they were preserving their their rating. I, th- I thought. Well, it was uh, that's, an MA. A, that's my assumption is that they were definitely targeting the so pretty the pretty little light li- on the, it, right? Yeah, the 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 pretty little liars audience. Sex scene, sex scene usually makes it MA. Yeah. Or, or restricted in the States. Like you can have yeah. implied James Bond sex and get a PG-13 where there's kissing and, you know, a little bit of side boob and some sheet sex. And then it cuts away. Yeah. But she was pretty much banging him. Yeah. Um, we didn't get to see any, you know, pink bits. <laughs> but I felt like that alone. I mean, in the States especially, like they're okay with the murder yeah. and the swearing Less so, but like murder, swearing, and then, oh, sex, fuck no. You know, like they're still, they're more backwards than we are in terms of our classification systems. Oh, yeah, and like swearing on talk radio and morning television shows and stuff like that. But you might be right, like you've actually really got me thinking about the idea of like, because they did, they didn't go gratuitous. No, it, it makes sense that they're targeting the Pretty Little Liars audience, which is, you know, anywhere from 12 year olds to. 22 year olds or something yeah you know so there's there's people that could handle a more adult version and ones that definitely shouldn't be seeing that stuff but you know that, that, that i mean and I, I, that's just my my feeling that, that that's her because that that actress was the draw card um and if you're a fan of the show you ne- inevitably want to go and see it Logic so checks out um but it's i i would be i would be making them do truly terrible things with with dreadful consequences where the um it's not just a matter of like spilling a secret that you know might break someone up um and i know that towards the end you know it's like well you know the the the, the demon is telling me to kill my friend or you know or or stuff like that but 
I would be, you know, getting them to, you know, kill an innocent person. I would... Which they start with. The movie opens with that. Does it? With the um, the random expositional chick who appears halfway through. Oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. She sets a yeah, chick but, on fire. Yeah, so, so that is... Uh, that that and the scene where, you know, you f- the, the guy that's unbeknownst to the curse dies, it's setting itself up to be something where the stakes are incredibly high. Yeah, and then yeah, it, that opening. And then it soft cocks out. Yeah. So, so, so my film comes up with more things that that escalate from setting some an innocent person on fire. Like it needs to go up from there, not down. And it doesn't matter that they're new players. Like, are we are we assuming that a terrible, murderous hellfire demon is going to go easy on the new players? Well, see, like, this, this is the interesting thing. So, would you have a terrible, murderous hellfire demon as your demon? Because they deliberately went out of their way to describe this demon as a trickster. Yeah. So for me, a trickster is something like Loki. Yeah. Or maybe a Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Who are both capable of murder, mm-hmm. but they're really interested, like the Joker, they're really interested in, they are laughing and nobody knows why they're laughing because their sense of humor is so specific. Mm-hmm. And that creates, for me, an idea of like like again they've got the elements yeah it's just so poorly like put together you've got a trickster that means that one dare could be fucking set someone on fire because they the, want to see it let's happen. just assume it's the joker the joker finds that hilarious right yeah for whatever reason and the next one could be go fart in an elevator called it back again but you know what i mean like it could be but that even that could be a, a tension release tension like am i going to get the whoopee cushion yeah, yeah, Dare, yeah. like softball. And then within that, the survivor's guilt. Yeah. Like, fuck, my friend. That means maybe my friend's going to get the, like, go shoot a school up or, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. they should have done, by the way, like on your idea. Well, like, yeah, I mean. escalating and you're dealing with teenage themes and teenage drama. Yeah, and, and I mean, that that is that is pretty biting social it's commentary. It's topical, but that's where horror, horror exists to do that, right? Yeah, and, and I think that you would need to have skilled writers that really like tonally get that right and yeah. it would probably require many many rewrites and a lot more well they had that they had that in a bang six writers or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was um, but they could do something like that or it's like the, the dare could be kidnap that child you know yeah. throw yeah. it throw it off a bridge that's the first part of the dare and the next person gets a different like, yeah like I mean and like these the, are these what are is thing- happening next yeah these are things where then it's not just people protecting themselves they're protecting themselves at the cost of their global reputation like you think someone that snatches someone's baby and does something like yeah disposes of like disposes of it off a building or something isn't going to be you know on the run from law enforcement which they kind of introduce and again it's not handled very well anywhere. doesn't go anywhere it's and you a, never it's a plot point that allows yeah. them to find what essentially is a character who's a MacGuffin that allows them to yeah. lead to a false ending yeah 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 so it's like so now you're on the run and everybody thinks that you're a terrible baby killer yeah and, and it, what that would do is it introduces the idea of 
what is survival? So they're trying yeah. to survive this game as in just to live. And then they but, start thinking about but what, at is what, my cost? Life, what does my life look like? when If I live, if yeah. If I win this game, yeah. what have I done? Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think to that end, the ending would be even more powerful because you're right. The ending is good where she then sends the curse to all of her millions of assumed millions of followers. Um to make sure that there are so many people playing the game that, you know, perhaps it's mercy in some way because it'll take a long time for them to get back to their turn. And it's actually stupid though, based on the, the they break the rules all the time. Though. Yeah, they, they break their because own rules constantly, and that's really frustrating. I mean, when they break the rules, it it either means that these people get added to the game, so you don't know when your next turn is, and all you're doing is buying time, but you have no control over the when or truth, why truth, or dare yeah. because they set up that you've, it's. If two people say truth in a row, then you have to say death. So these other people don't know the fucking rules because she didn't say that in a rant from memory. She didn't say, oh, by the way. These are the rules. You have to do, like, which would have made her more, like, uh, sympathetic. Yeah, now, now it's up to the demon. She only partially armed the world yep. with knowledge, terrible knowledge, yep. that, uh, with that ending with the goofy fucking face um, meant that, it worked. Yeah. And all she did, again, like It Follows, was extend her turn. Now, why I like comparing it to It Follows and stuff is not because of quality. It's not a qualitative statement. It's to yeah. say what they have is a situation that is not a haunted house. That no. is not just, just stop playing the game. Like, you can't. You And if you pick truth, mm-hmm. well... At the third one, then you're fucking over your buddy. Do you care about your buddy? And then are you okay with fucking over a random... They introduce that idea of what would I do in this situation? Yeah. Now, in its current form, the idea would be to just, you know, neck yourself because it's fucking terrible and they're stupid and they're two-dimensional characters. Mm. Uh, Just end the game that way if you're altruistic. Yeah. But I guess what I saw in the setup and then the very boring second act and kind of rising towards the third act and little moments was that they seem to have two tones in mind. Mm-hmm. They had the the asshole character and they had the sarcastic, you know, apparently listless, morally doctor character. Yeah. Who were taking the piss, cracking jokes. I'm like, oh, okay, they want to make it entertaining. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we can't laugh if someone's being brutally murdered, dying in mm-hmm. the next scene. Mm-hmm. And then they just ditch that, quite literally, because they kill those characters off really early. And... Fucking horror is supposed to be what is the worst case scenario. Yeah. So when they set that douchebag up initially, I'm like, man, he is one of the last to die. Yeah. Because nobody wants him around. Nobody wants him in the game. He's clearly out for himself. He's a douchebag. So that's why you keep him in the fucking game. Yeah. And you kill off one of the characters that you like. Now, the problem is they made no character really that likable. Mm-hmm. So you would, my movie... You would spend those few 10, 15, 20 precious minutes making your characters likable. In fact, don't make them teenagers. Make them adults. The idea that they're playing Truth or Dare, we were talking about this the other night, when I'm like, what, what, at what age do people play fucking Truth or Dare? Yeah. We settled on what, early, early teenage years? I'd say, yeah. Like, I remember playing it, you know, at like 11 up to about 
15. Which is fine, right? Yeah. So what they've done is they've taken it literally. Like they've like, nobody's going to buy that anyone's playing this. So we have to make them teenagers. I'm like, no, fuck that. Yeah. As adults, we turn anything into a drinking game, which is what they do in the movie anyway. Yeah. But that means yeah, you yeah, remove. That's right. Like I would play Truth or Dare tomorrow mm-hmm. with my mates if we were getting pissed and someone suggested it and it was like a way to have fun. Well, if it was organic and it was funny. Yeah, if then it wasn't maybe, like yeah. we're going to catch up to play truth or dare. Like, yeah, that would be weird. It is a possibility and it's it's why things get turned into like gamification is a massive thing. But if you can turn it into a drinking game, yeah. that's awesome. And we've, what, what was that game where you, Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever <laughs> yeah. is a version of truth or dare where it's just truth. Yep. No dare. And then you drink. Like, introduce drinking stakes. They've already done that, but they've still thought that they had to make it teenagers. So this can be adults. This can be any age. So we're mm-hmm. immediately, and teenagers can relate to adults. That's why teenagers like fucking action movies that don't have teenagers in the front of them. Yep. Uh, do that. Mm-hmm. Make them adults. So first of all, we can make them three-dimensional characters with real problems. Yeah. Make them be childhood friends. Yeah. When you're dealing with truth or dare, the dares can be anything, mm-hmm. right? So the dare takes care of itself. What's the most fucked up thing I can think of? Start there. Yeah. That's your end dare. And then work down from that. Make it escalate, like you said. Don't yeah. start big, go small, go back big. No, no, no. It's too It's too tonally fucking bipolar. Like but. it's up and down and fucking... Yeah. Yeah. Like it's... Um, like imagine if the... The escalation gets to a point where every character has completed the dare and lived, um, or maybe one has been lost or two, and then you've got a core group of four or five that have all completed their dare and lost basically everything. They've lost their reputation through doing something terrible, um, you know, lost all their friends, their families not speaking to them because the dare was to, you know, um, send out a video that ruins their reputation and, and, you know, talks about them being a racist or, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, or, you know, like I hate blacks. Imagine, you know, they're all filthy. Like, or something like. Go say that at your work. Yeah. Yeah. Where you've got a lot of black people there. Like, like that is a dare that everyone can relate to that. It's not horror in the sense that it's not killing anyone, but like, it's horrific. No, no, but like, it's, it's not horror in that moment, but it definitely can lead to that when they're, getting spat at at the street and they get fired yeah. and they makes it more psychological their, their college removes their um enrollment because yeah, they're it's a consequence because they're a public racist consequence yeah and then and, and the end thing is like well do we just all end it together like do, do they do a group suicide pact yeah, yeah. that then the demon fucks up somehow you know like there there are so many things that could be done like it doesn't have to be this gory horrible thing i mean i would probably you know knowing me i would have a few of those like you can do that you can make the yeah. group bigger to have yeah. the kill them offs and yeah. they only need a few lines but they need to be endearing in some way either like you know they're they're innocent or they're yeah. funny or whatever it doesn't take that much if you want a body count to do it that way 
what my thing is that they did not think hard enough about is the truth angle. They treated the truth angle as the cop-out and the dare angle as the payoff for mm -hmm. the audience. Whereas the truth, they should have dug deeper. And this is what I'm talking about with your adults who have been friends since they were kids. Yeah. Bigger group of friends, there's always circles within circles. There's yeah. people who get along better with other people. There's people who secretly don't like other people. There's people who've cheated on people, stolen from people. Yeah. Make the truths big damning and fucking shameful now they had a, an openly gay character which is cool but I think that they probably should have made that character closeted not just to his yeah. dad because that idea of coming out yep. is fucking scary and if you have to do it to save your life or if he's openly gay yep. he's fooled around with one of the people in the group I think there's a stat that says one in four or one in five straight guys who identify as straight mm -hmm. have fooled around with another dude. Yep. Right? So he might be openly gay, but someone else he's, you know, had a moment with a drunk and doesn't have to be anything like a kiss, a hand job, whatever fucking thing has happened. Yeah. And, it, and, 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 and he's like, got a girlfriend or a yeah. wife, doesn't want that shit getting out. Like, and, and it's like at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal, but it's that, not, but that, to them. But that person has branded themselves a certain way and they definitely do not want that to be public knowledge. So you start getting yeah. re, like for the audience, relatable secrets. Yeah. Yeah. That like with no judgment call are like shame. So it's something that would make someone feel ashamed. Yeah. And and I know people who have identified as bisexual at one age and then, you know, gone, no, I'm straight and got married and then basically said, no, that never happened. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I was yeah. always straight. Like, like that for them is their shame thing. I'm not saying that that's right, but I'm saying you can tap into those. Yeah, because it's still a very human thing, like regardless of whether, you know, I mean, I personally don't give a hoot what people identify as. Like, I, I, no. really, I really... But some people do. Yeah. And, and you can make it so that yeah. characters do and would and yeah. believably yeah. you go, I get why that guy's upset about that. I get yeah. why that girl's upset about that. Maybe yeah. maybe he's dating a super or married to a super religious woman. You know what I mean? Like, And the problem well, yeah. is not so much him as much as it is her. Or, like, yeah, whatever yeah. This, and, but and you set up the dominoes yes. with the, the little looks and the... The, the like the subtext conversations mm -hmm. and things that imply that there is shit that has gone down yeah and you create the mystery of not just like how are they going to get out of this or how are they going to die yeah, yeah you create the mystery of what are the biggest secrets that are going to come out of this yeah that to me is infinitely more interesting than what they did because again they just seem to ditch the truth angle well, well yeah and, and and I was saying before about how like the potent dramatic storyline was well, I I Apologies if everybody remembers this fucking character's name and I haven't. Mikey, Mickey, whatever her name is. Blondie. So yeah, the blonde, one. the blonde lady. Um, the whole, the potent storyline there is that her father has killed herself. She learns from the main character that it's, she's got a lot to do with it because she said to the father that you're better off dead because the father's attempted to sexually assault her. But she didn't have anything to do with it. No, she didn't. As an audience, I, I, as an audience we're like, you didn't do anything wrong. No, no. In the heat of the moment, she's been very upset and felt violated. You know, being kissed by her friend's dad pushed him away and said something mean to him in response and then run away. Wasn't expecting him to actually kill himself, but he does. And that's a horrible, guilty thing. But it fucking flies in out of nowhere 
that's not set up or earned, in my opinion. Um, but well, okay. ham-fistedly set it up by her going, I have a truth that I yeah, can't Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, like, yeah. Again, it's not well set up. I'm not defending. No, I'm no. just saying they do set it up, but it's super obvious yeah. on the nose shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, for me, like, imagine if it was actually Mickey, Mikey, Blondie's. I'll just call it Blondie. <laughs> Blondie's, uh, if it was her dare or to um, tell her mentally unstable, very much alive father that she'd be better off if she was dead. Yeah. And they're not allowed to tell their dares to anybody else. No. They just have to do it. Yeah. And, and they're not at- even allowed to say when it's their fucking turn. So what you get is a group of people yeah. who are having to learn to be radically honest with each other. Yeah. And they don't know when it's someone's turn. Like, yeah. create that doubt. Even with the audience, we don't need to see those POV moments where nobody can see. No. Nobody else but the character can see. And actually, don't even do that. Make it so that people in the world, like I go back to Fallen. Have you seen that movie Fallen? Denzel Washington. It's a very good movie. And it basically follows a demon who is able to jump from person to person and speaks to him. But it doesn't speak to him in a truth or dare. Mm. It speaks to them in the voice of the character who he's looking at. But you can tell by the look in their eyes or how they're acting that it's the words of the demon. So it's that inescapable situation. How the fuck do I get away from this creature? Yeah. It's it's jumping from person to person to person. Yeah, yeah. Only I can see it. But if someone else was standing... Well, not only I can see, but if someone else was standing there watching It Possessed You and I'm Denzel, they would be able to go, man, she just said some whack shit. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't think... She's possessed by a fucking demon. No. But they would see that. And I don't think it adds anything to make it this paranoid angle. No. Only you can see it without them exploring that. Like, I'd have a scene early on if you wanted to do that where the main chick speaks to a psychologist Mm -hmm. and then the demon speaks to her through the psychologist to show that she's tried to to address the "Am am I insane? She's asked the right questions of herself. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah. done her due diligence and that has been shot down. Mm-hmm. So there's all these, like it feels like it's written by six people because there's all these competing ideas. And I don't think a lot of them are quality ideas. And a lot of it just seems well, it's, like. Well, it's, it's like they got six people to write a few scenes each and then a script editor had to sort of thread them together. It feels like they had the ending yep. pretty early on. Yeah. And everything was working towards that. And again, if you plot the main character's mm-hmm. arc. On paper, it's actually quite good. Yeah. And if you could say, you know, it's basically like Anakin Skywalker, Mm -hmm. which is an example because it wasn't executed well. On paper, his arc is fantastic. Here or slave gets saved, becomes most powerful force user ever, Mm -hmm. ascends through the ranks impossibly quickly, could be the best thing for the galaxy because he's going to bring some kind of balance and there's people who believe it and who don't and ultimately decides to go bad to save someone that he loves. Now, on paper, that's a cool plot. That's yep. a cool character arc. Execution leaves a lot to be desired. And the same thing for this movie. Like, that's a cool thing. Like, let's... I If you pitch that movie to me and it didn't exist, Truth or Dare, mm-hmm. if you pitch just that arc, I'm like, I want to see that movie. Yeah. That movie sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. Hell, I'd want to write that movie because 
It sounds like that, like we've discussed, there's a lot that can be done with the core idea of you cannot get away from the game. Yep. The game follows you wherever you are. You can't easily skip your turn unless the plot requires it with crazy guy in a death-proof house and suddenly this is Final Destination and it makes no fucking sense. Yeah. And whether their turns are rotating in their group and the bigger group or separately in the groups, but it seems better if it's separately because then if they learn the rule about the truth, truth, dare, mm-hmm. and they go, I'm going to take one for the team and we'll, you do the dare and we'll go truth and then when they get to the next person, they go truth and yep. it's like, well, no, it wasn't your turn. Someone else had a turn that you don't know about. And it's mm-hmm. like, holy fuck, okay, so we've got even less control over this. Take control away from them. Yep. Always present the glimmer of hope. Yeah. When yeah, they're yeah. figuring shit out, which uh, they do. And, and that raises the stakes. Steal it away. Yes. Whenever they feel like you feel like they're on top, knock the fucking, you know, knock them on their, on their ass. So, yeah, I mean, going back to right back to the beginning, it gets two stars from me because the idea, I think, as, as I've said, and you probably heard me get excited about it, I think the idea could be done really well. I do not think they settled on the right idea no. for that movie. And, the, and, and unfortunate reality is it made a lot of money proportionate to its budget, which means it'll get a sequel, which means it'll probably get three or four or five sequels until that budget is no longer proportionate. But, but you know what? Because of the ending, I am intrigued by the sequel. Well, if they continue on that trajectory. But they can technically move it. They can move away from these characters. Yeah, they, they can. They can always but, do a reboot if they want. Yeah, but they, but they can they can move away from those characters, but the assumption is at the end of this film that millions of people are now infected. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't know how big a network is, but it would. But you, but you it would have gone viral you because see of the it content. Going viral because it's like oh, yep. watch this bullshit, and yep. and then suddenly someone dies, and instead of people going, I'm not going to watch it because people are dying, they're like, oh, I want to watch that. Yeah. So yeah, I think that was absolutely meant to be the implication which means it's gone worldwide, which means that there is basically no way to shut this thing down. No. Which for the production company means unlimited sequels as long as it makes money. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there, there was just – there are opportunities to execute this idea in a way that would be rewarding. Yeah. Uh, and I, I personally – the main, main underlying thing, not, not that just Truth or Dare inspired this podcast idea, but the main thing that upsets me with movies is when I see a good idea mm-hmm. horribly executed. Yeah, and it's, it's a shame. And uh, just to touch on a point that I brought up earlier and then forgot to expand on because I've got an amazing train of thought, clearly. Is... I probably interrupted you. Apologies. No, no, no. Um, the the whole idea of the Mexican curse. Now, yeah, I, I'm ha- right. I'm hard on that. Not because of any disrespect to Mexico, like toot toot, I've been there and it's a freaking phenomenal country and I can't wait to go back one day. Um, but it's there, there is there is a, a rich Mexican folklore, and they have a f- like a, a lot like Indonesia, they have a far better relationship with the dead than we do. Yeah, they um, they take supernatural for granted, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a thing. Like, it's not, it's not a discussion about no atheist. Or, it's just like yeah, it's a thing. No, no, no. And and there are predominantly, as um as many would know, uh, Mexico is predominantly Catholic. Um, there are a lot of uh, devout uh, Catholics, Christians in in the Mexican region. However, that is interspersed with Mexican folklore, which I would say is separate. 
but is probably fed by religion if I'm if I'm going to, you know, dive deep and make assumptions that I'm not qualified to make. But the, the, the existence of demons is a real thing. Praying to Jesus, praying to God is a way to cleanse yourself and protect yourself against demons that seek to do you harm. Uh, you, you know, praying to archangels, like the, the uh, Archangel Raphael is the, you know, the the archangel of healing. All right. You know, a, a dotted, like if you're looking at a corporate a hierarchy chart. He has a dot, dotted line into Jesus Christ. So uh, <laughs> I thought it was just Mary. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you've got Catholicism um, two point Yeah, so you you, you that that is from my experience quite prevalent in in Mexican culture and 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 it's just this, like it's just accepted that demons exist and you protect yourself from them and that you you live a holy Christian life and. Demons are your, like, watch out sort of thing. Um, so, obviously, I think that that's very interesting and they have the Day of the Dead and things yeah. like that, which, you know, I roll a lot of white people appropriate and they have, like, sugar skulls, Day of the Dead tattoos and things like that without necessarily understanding the meaning. And I don't personally understand everything about it. But um, She's so- talking about the tattoo on the small of my back. <sighs> Please don't do that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, no, actually, I don't I, mind. Go I, for it. I won't. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. Um, but uh, they they embrace the idea of the afterlife a lot better than we do. I feel that Western culture struggles with that a lot, despite. Well, which is why they shoehorn this stuff in, right? Yeah, well, but, if- but yeah, despite having religious similarities, I mean, Australia doesn't have a group of 20 Catholics trying to keep it alive. Like there's, there's a couple of million of them there. Uh, you know, uh, the USA is, is, you know, there's the it's like 45% Christian. I'm for, pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 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 And, um, so this is not new information, but, uh, but there, there is a definite, um, I guess mixing of, of, of Mexican folklore and religion that we don't necessarily get here. And I think that that, is a very interesting concept to explore and this was so shoehorned. It's like for, for two-thirds of the movie we don't really have much of an idea about where this shit's come from, just that people have to play the game or they die. And then it's like, oh, it's a Mexican thing and this poor little old lady's had to cut out her tongue and that's why she hasn't spoken for 60 years. Like that I feel was really poorly delivered. Uh, and didn't really pay homage to the rich Mexican folklore of uh, evil spirits, good spirits. Like there, there is so much there that could be explored. Now, if we look at James Wan and the the Conjuring series, in the Conjuring, the Conjuring Two, Annabelle Creation, the Nun, there are mentions of Mexican folklore and curses and spirits in all of those films and I think the next one is The Curse of the Weeping Woman correct me if I'm wrong it didn't happen already did it? oh did it? yeah it did yeah it did sorry yes it did um, I haven't seen that obviously uh, I was jet lagged as hell so I fell asleep in The Nun but it was pretty bad anyway I think um, yeah and it's I, I think that it, of all the things that 
have come out on on Mexican folklore and, and and interlacing horror with that. James Wan's universe is doing that far better than Truth or Dare, and it did have some source material and it still fucked it up. So it just seemed in 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 a landscape of of quite literally like a lot of horror films centering around a Mexican curse happening in the space of sort of five years that they did a pretty shit job of it considering the rich folklore that's available to them. Yeah. I mean, maybe they were worried about touching it too much. I don't, I don't know the, um, the writer's names or their backgrounds. So maybe they weren't authorities on that, but also like many things that have, we've identified for this movie, it just feels like they were looking for a way to drive the plot forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did what they did. I mean, even to the point of the beginning, we were sort of discussing about what are the ages of these characters because they seem to be younger than 21, but they kind of almost had to be 18 to be able to go to South America to be of legal drinking age. And it's, it feels like if that's what the writers have thought about or the producers or whomever um, in trying to create this believable world... That it's like just make them older. Like you don't you. They seem to get stuck on that. That had to be teenagers. Like that was the integral part of the story. Whereas yeah, yeah. it just didn't have to be at all for me. No, and and you know, like I was just thinking just on the point before that perhaps it 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 would have even been like a really cool cultural exercise to to make Mexico more of an integral part to it because the curse, like people had to be brought to that, you know, shitty basement in Mexico for the curse to the church to work, which again makes the ending a little sketchy because I mean, people get infected, but they weren't actually physically present in that room, but maybe just viewing it or having been spoken to from that place makes it work, but they didn't make that clear. Uh, yeah, yeah. Another yeah. one of the rules that they were like, they, they, don't think about it too much, please. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's not really made clear that someone can essentially, you know, through telecommunications be infected by it, but that's what they've essentially done. Um, but anyway, I, I would have maybe if they if they ingrain the Mexican folklore like in, in a more deliberate way throughout and, and had – uh, maybe m- more cultural representatives of Mexico to help drive that story. Like maybe a maybe they introduce like a instead of like you've you've got the old lady that's obviously been through it before and she plays you know a crucial role that unfortunately just seeks to confuse us further. But maybe if they would, um, and it's not her fault, it's the story. But perhaps if they, you know, they have a, a Mexican um, priest join them or something like that that can help advise on the uh, on the religious aspects, they could have maybe made that even scarier. It just seems like they wanted to avoid that because they wanted to have a group of people who could doubt, even though the protagonist was well on board from the beginning. Um, <clears throat> believably, you know, a bunch of... American kids mm-hmm. who didn't seem to be terribly, you know, in touch with their spirituality or religious stuff yeah. would be more believably open to asking the other questions rather than going, oh, my God, this is a fucking demon. This is obviously a fucking demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, that, that's and, that, that's true. I'm not defending. No, no, I know, I know. Lazy but writing. It's lazy writing, and I just thought, like, because. I mean, I know I'm not alone in finding other cultures intriguing and it, it's cool to, like, I'd like to be scared in tandem with learning more about another country's folklore. Come I visit mean, Mexico. You know, uh, I'm from an Irish background, Irish English, Irish Catholic background, and uh, there's a lot of Irish folklore that's pretty interesting that, you know, might make for a good film someday. But I'm certainly interested in, in the folklore of other countries. And I think that would have added a lot more than it could take away, especially if you really amp up the the scare factor of it as well. Yeah, but that's why some of the best horror movies end up coming out of Hollywood, right? Like they, yeah. They come from different parts of the world, not English-speaking parts of the world. Totally, totally. Because they don't seem to be limited in the way that Hollywood is for some reason. Like, they should be going for the deepest, darkest yeah. stuff. Yeah. And they don't seem to want to dig that deep. They seem to want to either artificially or because that's part of their brief, they kind of tap out at maybe half or three quarters at best. Sure, yeah, like, that's not, true. There are levels that we are not willing to hit. And I'm like, why? And that's not me saying, therefore, everything should be torture porn. I don't like torture porn. No, like, no, no. Hostel's a bit beyond but the But there is a way to unnerve yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and outside of, you know, some classic examples, I think that Hollywood tends to churn out more shit examples of horror than good. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a damn shame. But you know what? I feel like we've given too much airtime to this goddamn movie. Yeah. Look, it's a piece of shit, honestly. And if you, if you came on the journey with us as we implored you to do in episode five... And we're sorry. So sorry about that. <laughs> um, so I think we can kind of end it there, perhaps. And I just what I want to do is I want to thank... Uh, recent joiners to our Facebook page. I know we've had a, a flurry of likes lately and I just want to thank you for getting on board. It really means a lot to us that you that you listen. Um, maybe you're listening to help yourself fall asleep. I'm not I'm not sure. <laughs> In which case <laughs> wake up. <laughs> Why don't you put on a little makeup? <laughs> no, um, that's a video that I actually think we should share on the Facebook page. That'll make sense well, um, later. the guy in charge of social. I, I'll get right on that. Yeah, cheers. Uh, so, yeah, well, I'd like to thank you very much for liking the page. If you do enjoy it, please share it with your friends. We are very much interested. Like truth in- or dare, share <sighs> it with your yeah, friends. Yeah, send a viral video yeah, out that, unless, viral. You, unless you like send the page. and yeah. Make her cut her tongue out. I don't know. I'm mixing all sorts of messages here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, just, I wanted to thank you for that. And I also want to um, encourage you to share with your friends. We can only grow uh, through people power, really. I mean, if I had pots of money, I'd be advertising on billboards or, you know, get my tits out or something. I don't know. But... Uh, yeah. That'll work. Yeah, maybe. Uh- <laughs> for the there you go. Confirm for the tenth episode. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, do share and do interact. We are not above criticism, and we would encourage you to call us out, uh, bring your own 
theories, your own versions of the films that we discuss. Like I'd love to, just like we did with uh, Hank Hill, which has uh, been revealed to be a, a dear friend of ours. What? Uh, but we we love him and we welcome his opinion. But if you if you want to give your hot take on on a film that we've discovered, please do so. And you can do that really easily if you go to anchor.fm forward slash here's my movie. You can actually leave us an audio note and we can make that part of the podcast. And we absolutely will. We would very much enjoy you being part of the audience, part of the participation, part of the episode. And we will absolutely respond to you and engage you in that discussion. So please hit us up there. Please send us a message on Facebook at fb.me forward slash here's my movie. You can hit us up on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash here's my movie. Or just get your whole gamut of links and where you can download us and all of that cool stuff at here's my movie.com. So with that, I will bid you farewell and a special thanks to... I'm going to cut you off before the farewell. Sure. We do have a message. We do. From friend of the, friend of the podcast. Yes. And IRL friend, that's right, we have them. Call back to episode one. Alex Angove. Hey, Alex. Who listened to our Terminator episode. Yes. And gave me a little bit of a beep by beep, which you know, I do appreciate people. Sure. So if you are friends with me on Facebook, then do that with me. Yeah. But and He's, me too, but I'm less interesting than you, so whatever. He was, well, no, come on. He was actually partially against my idea, mm-hmm. my movie for mm-hmm. The Terminator, because he said, the only flashback I want in that movie, being The Terminator, mm-hmm. is Arnie's ass. Whoa. But all shit aside, the moment when he turns up is so threatening and iconic, I think putting it in a flashback would dilute it. It's pretty much a line in the sand that says... The shit's on now. That's Arnie's ass. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, friend of the podcast. I'm sure you're listening to this. Put that in your CV for whatever you go for next. I mean, you've done governor, president of the moon. I don't know. Whatever you do next. That or put a tattoo on your ass that says that. Like, that is perfect. So there you That's go. That's gold. Alex disagreeing with me because he doesn't want to lose Arnie's ass. No, no. And it's a valid point because it is absolutely perfect. And you know what? I'm going to go out, a limb and say, out on a limb and say it, it still is. He, he's very Have well. Have you seen it recently? Yes. It, oh. he, he's a well put together man, even at 71 or something he is, Damn. which is ridiculous. That's ridiculous that Arnold Schwarzenegger is, the, is of that age, but he's phenomenal and I love him to pieces. He has terminated Katie's heart. He has. He has. I am dead but for my love for him. So it is, uh, I just want to give a shout out to Kid Conley. That's K-I-D-D Conley. He can, if you search that in Fiverr, you will find his account. He does all of our intros and spoiler alerts and ads, our silly ads that we do. I give him the scripts for those. They're not his fault. That's me trying to be funny. I think they're Uh, funny. (laughs) If you don't think they're funny, then... Tell your friends about our podcast. Make them listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can hit him up if you want a, a similar treatment for your uh, for your sound needs. He's a really cool dude. So just giving a shout out to him. Shout out to our new friends on Facebook. Now- Next time on Here's My Movie. <laughs> Now, the next episode is episode 007, as we mentioned before. So we'll be covering uh, a couple of Bond films. We'll be covering Casino Royale and... Quantum of Solace. 
Oh, yeah. So stay tuned for that. And um, we do encourage you to watch the films to get, uh, especially the ones that aren't super recent, um, so that you can come on the journey with us and give us your opinions. Because I guarantee that if you're looking at them through the lens of what you would change, you've probably got things that you would indeed change and you can discuss them with us. So why not go do that? We encourage you to do so. And we thank you deeply from the bottom of our heart. And you'll understand why next week has two movies instead of one. See, I still didn't even know. Yeah, that. no, Katie can't know about it because it's part of Here's My Movie, which I can't tell you about because that's next week's episode. All right, so we will join you next time for Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale, and we bid you farewell. Good night and good luck. Thank you. <laughs>